The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 83 of the Overview. I'm Chan Man V, and this is a, a take two for all you guys watching live, but you can finally hear me now, so it's all good. Uh, well, we got a super uh, packed episode, given that this is the first episode we were doing since BlizzCon, and uh, definitely got a special guest on here today, but I want to welcome my co-host, uh, Fishsticks, first. What's up, buddy? Hello, hello. Slowly recovering from BlizzCon. <laughs> this is feeling better. The second cut is going to be way this better than the so first cut. Good. Oh man, so good. ZP, what's up, man? I'm glad we don't have Doomfist tonight. Uh, I'm just glad we're trying to selectively not remember the last moment. Like we're just going to ignore that the previous segment happened That's and right. uh, go from there. That's right. Hey, also, also uh, one of the first BlizzCons to return from where I don't actually have the plague. I feel like if I had caught the plague, I'd be sick by now. So. That didn't happen, and I'm pretty glad for it. Yeah, I remember running into you at one point. You were coughing. I'm like, oh no, oh no, no, no. no. that was that was literally just asthma. It, it was fine. <laughs> okay. It was actually being sick. Okay, good. And uh, joining us, fresh off of his uh, his attempt to take down the Korean team, or you know, playing on the U.S. team, and as well as the one of the newest members on Team Houston or the Houston Outlaws on, in the OWL. We've got Jake joining the show today. What's up, Jake? Hey man, how's it going? It's good to be here. Good man, and I, I like the the new room you got back there. It's, it's definitely much better than that team house that you were in last time you were on the show, dude. Much quieter. Yeah, I actually have my own space. is really nice. Uh, even though I'm gonna have a roommate, it's still like uh, I mean, my bedroom is my own space. Don't have to show that. Uh, cool. And I think I think it's gonna be pretty nice. So you're in LA, all you know, just moved in and all that good stuff. Yeah, I've just been, I've like built my desk today. So I've made my bed and stuff. So the room wasn't looking this nice like 12 hours ago, but I'm finally starting to like move in and, and get things settled, which is really nice. It's starting to feel like home. And it's really like amazing. Like the place they're putting us is, is great. Just like everything you could ask for. Like, I just want you to know you're not esports until you are living with four other people in the same room for an extended <laughs> period of time. That, that's how it was done in the old days, just so you know. <laughs> And you're not a big streamer until you show your your uh, messy bed too in the background. <laughs> yeah, wait, check it out. Yeah. Wait, don't lie. The show started. The first and most important question is who are you rooming with? I oh. assume it's someone else on the on the Houston roster. So my roommate is eventually going to be Spree when he moves oh. in. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Did you get last pick of rooms then? That kind of sucks, dude. If you guys were with the last was, ones there. Yes. I, I mean, we were like he was the last one to get signed, and I was not the very not the second to last one to get signed, but like close to it. And yeah, some other people like like got singles because they already had like a. a oh, there's singles in there, oh, like man. a dog or something. Right. So right. some people have their own room, but for me, I like I, I don't mind having a roommate. I kind of like it actually. So. Yeah. Especially like in a situation like this, like a two bedroom apartment, uh, it's no big deal. I'm just imagining Flame walking up to Jake and being like, look, man, I got some bad news. Uh, Spree's visa got delayed. He's not going to be here for another two months. And Jake <laughs> goes, oh, that's horrible. I, I'm very <laughs> disappointed that I have my own room for another uh, two months. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Okay, well, anyways, why don't we get started? Because if we don't get started, we're never going to finish the show. Yeah, I know, Jake, it. you wanted to stream a little bit, too, after the show. Yeah, um, I'm going to try and stream some after. Yeah. 
so let's just jump in the biggest thing, the BlizzCon. We're just going to go right into it. Uh, we were all there, all doing different things. Some some of us playing, some of us casting, some of us just covering. Chilling <laughs> in the crowd. Some of us, yeah, some of us chilling in the crowd, doing other stuff. Um, but I uh, figured we'd start off with a lot of the game announcements, just, you know, the keynote, I guess. Uh, and then we'll kind of go through just all of our experiences with BlizzCon. Uh, so big announcements was that, um, that we have a new... Uh, hero Moira, and then we have a new map, Blizzard World. I think it's yeah, Blizzard World is what it's called. And then we got a new animated short, which was the Reinhardt uh, Honor and Glory. Uh, so I guess none of us were really surprised at this, right? I mean, I was hoping for more, but this was basically the the bare minimum that I felt like would be uh, acceptable, at least in my mind. Uh, what do you guys think? Were you guys surprised by the, just what they showed or anything like that? And we'll d we'll dive into the specifics in a second. Dude, we finally got a, another healer main that's also <laughs> yeah. that also has some level of mobility, which is exactly what a lot of people in the community have been wanting for just so, so, so long. It was an obvious omission from the roster, so super excited to see it. Um, Chris, I mean, you had crazy expectations. You're like, Dude. are they going to give us like a Overwatch like TV, like movie or animated series? What's it going to be? Is it going to be something next level? So I, I don't think it was like a super crazy next level set of announcements, but definitely solid. Uh, Moira is exactly what the doctor ordered. All right. Uh, ZP, what do you think, man? No, it's great to have another healer in the game. Obviously, you want to give people more options there. The fact that the hero has more DPS options than the average support definitely helps out as well, where it's a case where, okay, maybe if there is a more meta healer at a time, if you could still encourage people to pick supports and get, say, two of them in any given game, it might help alleviate some degree of uh, ladder angst that people tend to run into. So, I mean, it, it helps a lot. The fact that you look at the Overwatch roster, we have a high abundance of DPS heroes and we have a fairly uh, notable lack of support. So, yeah, I mean, adding a new support was definitely necessary. Yeah, I mean, we're just diving into Mora at this point. So, Jake, what's your take on Mora? <laughs> like, uh, I like the hero. I think it's like well designed. But uh, I think Train said it best, which is that do you ever think about how Moira was created so Metro Mains would have something to play that they won't get flamed for? Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, she's, she's on the easier side to play. Yeah, I'm going to get I the door really quick. Right? <laughs> go for it. Oh, okay, so I'm actually going to dispute that and go, no, you can't say the hero is low skill ceiling or anything like that until it's extensively played. If you go back to 2015, like late 2015, what was the standard meme about Overwatch play for Winston? I have no aim. I have no brain. I'm a Winston right. main. Now you fast forward to 2017 and Winston is one of the characters that is both highly skilled and actually has defined teams going forward in Overwatch in terms of their tank front line. So I think it's way too early to go to a hero like Moira and be like, oh, yeah, this hero just doesn't require that much skill. I call BS until we actually yeah. see the hero I, I mean, played and fleshed out over time. Have you guys got a chance to actually play with it in PTR? Because, I mean, my first experience, even when I was there, uh, I don't know, I had kind of mixed experience when I was there because I was playing against different comps. But, um, you know, on PTR today when I was trying it out, it didn't feel like a symmetric to me. I mean, I felt like there were there's definitely more dynamics to, to Moira, you know, with the ball and, I mean, her just that symmetra aspect that damage isn't as powerful as symmetra's like it, it, you don't take people down nearly as fast as you do with symmetra so um i feel like the skill ceilings uh considerably higher actually than symmetra and um i was trying to do those boost jumps all day i don't know about you what you guys <laughs> did you see the videos for all those i was trying to replicate some of those jumps 
Well, how do you do the bush jump over there? Like you throw the orb at the ground or something? No, no. Have you seen the video? So you can, oh God, it's, it's, it's actually hard. I mean, I, I wasn't doing it very easily, but some people are really, really good at it. You can do a, you can do a shadow step into a jump and then you can make these just big, long jumps if you can. Oh, okay. Like you can, because yeah. it gives you infinite speed. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, well, it's kind of like, no, so it's, it's, not just, it's just a bug that they'll patch. Before yeah. It yeah. Back. It's like the doomsday so, thing. Yeah, there's no point happening. learning that. Yeah. 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 There's just so. no point learning that. <laughs> like, they let it go I, I will say, I think for Moira that she definitely has some pretty interesting avenues in terms of resource management. Just the entire idea of how people manage her uh, left click, the healing stream while also dealing damage, uh, mixing in right, what orb you use, etc. She's going to be pretty heavy on decision-making, and that even goes double for her ultimate, right? Where you can use it to heal, you can use it to damage. When you actually decide to use it, it's going to be important, where do you so decide, actually, we're having issues with, say, Genji on the other team, let's use it for that. Uh, do we just need the spam heal for a certain fight? Decision-making is going to be key to this hero, A. Mm -hmm. And then B, I also think that with this sort of hero, you're starting to slowly stack the deck to really hurt people that are one tricks. And the idea that, if you think about it, if you're going up against, say, Philadelphia and Shadowburn, right, where maybe he's in another era where he's running nothing but Genji. Now you can run a front line that is conceivably Winston, Zarya, Moira. And you have a ton of undeflectable damage that just makes a Genji hate his life. So... It's going to be interesting to see how this hero affects both uh, the meta in terms of, say, countering a hero like Genji, but also just uh, what people do with it in terms of decision-making. You know, so yeah. far, I've been pretty unimpressed by her ultimate. I don't know. Do you, have you guys, like, done a lot of damage or a lot of heals with it? I I don't, I don't it think like it's that you down a bunch when you use it? Like, um, like you don't it run at full speed when you use it, right? Oh that's no! Like it actually wait, it actually makes you faster, doesn't? No, it? Does I think it really? it's the opposite. Yeah, I, thought I, thought it it it, I haven't played the hero honestly, but it looks like it slows you down when you cast it. I feel like that's a huge problem because you just die like from casting it. It doesn't heal yourself when you cast it. Like, do you get the full heal value? I don't think you get the full heal value. You definitely have more regen while it's going on. Like it's regening you. You have regen normally. You do move uh, quicker. No, you don't get the regen normally. So, she's... I mean, so so you get regen when you ult, but it's not like great. It's not like crazy regen. Like I don't even know if it's regen. I mean, you just get vampiric from doing damage. Oh, is that always? You always have vampiric from damage, like. Uh, yeah, so on the right click, you always get yeah on the right click, but not from the balls. You don't get it from the balls though. But but from your ult, you also get the vamp. I think so. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think the biggest, like, the problem with that ult is it's, like, it's potentially super high value, but it also turns you into, like, a huge target, because I'm pretty sure you can't blink while you're using it. Like, you can't blink or use anything else. Like, you're just ulting people, which could be really good if it's, like, a grab. Like, if it's, like, a double grab situation where your team's grabbed and their team's grabbed, it's one of the better ults in the game, because you can actually kill your whole team and damage the whole enemy team, like, at the same time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, think the, I think it's going to be, like, like, basically, you can have Moira on your team, and you don't have to run a DPS that can combo grab. So you could run, like, I don't know, like, you know, Soldier and, uh, I mean, Junkrat's pretty good at comboing the grab, but sometimes he's not. Uh, so you could run, like, characters that aren't so good at comboing grab, um, and then you have Moira to do it. So you can run, like, DPS that are more, like, pick ultimates. Hmm. Um, or just in case you don't have, like, your, your Dragon Blade up, you have Moira ult. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the, what, the biggest problem with the character is survivability right now. Because she just has no, like, her, her movement is, I don't know, it's, like, good. But at the same time, it's kind of a long cooldown. And it's not, like, crazy movement. So I kind of feel like Moira's, Moira definitely doesn't fit in, like, the survivable support, like, the main support role where you have to be able to take care of yourself. It's more like a Zen or an Ana where you're 
you know, you're, you're, you do multiple things, uh, you know, some, yeah. some damage, some sustain, but I feel like it's definitely really tough to keep up with a character like Zen, but like the game impact of discord is kind of insane. And like, sometimes the more ult is just a shitty trance. Right. Yeah, like, it, I mean, it's kind of a even, lot of the time. It's just it's most of the time it is. I mean, so I think like, it, it's like a chance that you like you have to be in like a very precise position to use, and realistically, you're never getting like crazy value off of it unless it's like anti grab or something. Yeah. But even then, if you want to defend your team from a grab, chance is just way better, and you can't die while you're using it. Mm-hmm. So, so there's two, Jake, there's two things to note on the hero right now. Uh, one is that the beam that she has also goes through any shield, so it's That's definitely the ult or the, just the regular beam. The sorry, her uh, alt like okay, her ulti- So her ultimate, for example, if you were to run like something gimmicky like pirate ship comp or otherwise against it, you could literally just like look at it and go, "Oh, I don't care about your three stack shields. This just goes right through." So that alone will have some interesting mm-hmm. utility. The other thing is that uh, if you take a look at her right click uh, in terms of doing damage and leeching, actually leeches health back to her really quickly. So if you combine that with the uh, healing orb that she has, like say you have a Genji or a Tracer diving on you in the back line, it's actually going to be incredibly obnoxious to actually burst her down, especially when you combine her uh, shift on top of it. Like It doesn't feel like she's going to be a support that you actually want to dive on all that heavily. Might yeah. be wrong. But. It's going to be definitely interesting. Ben, what do you think? Like, do you think as as yeah. a healer, is, is she, can she even be a primary healer? Um, I mean, my take on it is she's going to be fantastic in situations where you have a whole bunch of people lining up behind a friendly Reinhardt. You're pushing through <laughs> King's Row. Mo- most of King's Row, like, you're going to see tons of situations where her primary fire is able to heal multiple teammates at once uh, in close range. Her ultimate is going to be really good on those narrow, long straightaways. Uh, she's going to be great in that situation. Um, outside of the more narrow maps and outside of the outside of the maps that don't have a ton of high grounds, which let's face it, almost every map in Overwatch has a lot of high ground positions. I think she's going to be a little bit weaker, uh, but there are some really interesting things about her kit to consider. The shift, it's a short blink. You move very fast for like less than a second, but it's probably enough to get out of the way of a diving Winston. Like you see a Winston diving at you, if you have your shift up, you're going to be able to get out of the way from that character. Another thing to consider is her right click, her, her damage, her leech has much longer range than you might initially think. So I think ZP is completely right. It's going to be tough to dive her. Uh, if a Genji is going after her solo, he's going to have a bad time. If a Tracer is going after her solo, she's going to have a bad time. I had a moment at BlizzCon where I was able to kill a Tracer in like a quarter of a second, a third of a second, by throwing out my E, my damage orb, and then uh, fading forward towards my orb, yep. uh, teleporting right in front of the Tracer, holding right-click for a split second, boom, Tracer died. So on one hand, I think she's going to be good with Reinhardt-based comps. On the other hand, she might be better than I was initially thinking at dealing with things like Tracer and Genji in particular. Now, Pharah is going to be a good counter. There's no way that you're going to be able to hit a Pharah when she's high up in the air. 76 is going to be a good counter at longer ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's definitely interesting. Like The theory crafting is going to be real for yeah, this character. Definitely. You mentioned the grab, Jake. So are we talking triple tank with, with Mora and that sort of thing? I mean, that's like sort of the problem with the character, right? It's like, it's really good. It's like just, I mean, it's sort of obvious, right? The ult, you want to use the ult on like a really tanky composition that mm-hmm. likes having a lot of AoE healing, likes having shield puncturing damage, you know, triple tank, right? Like, and the great grab combo, like all the all the ingredients are there for you to want to play triple tank or at least like two slow tanks like Zarya and Ryan or something. 
but no one plays a game like that anymore really like mm-hmm. uh, it's not that good honestly like the problem with that style has been discovered and like as people have been playing dive more and more is that you can just always force that style to make mistakes except on maps like like kr is one of the only maps where you cannot do it because uh, a lot of times you can unlike defense you can force people into ground fights you can like you can't leverage the point from high ground if, like effectively enough so you kind of have to take the low ground fight and it ends up being you know choked out into like the point where a reinhardt shield can become really effective um but like outside kr where you're just not running those tanks do you ever run this hero like i don't think more is so good that i mean, maybe i haven't like looked at the numbers really so that's going to determine a lot but I, I just my initial read on the character is that it's not so good that you want to pick around her the way like uh mercy is so good that you want to pick around her um and play things like roadhog like i don't think more is going to accomplish that really um the other thing is like basically the question to ask with the new support character is like does this unseat mercy or zen yeah, uh, and I just that's... can't imagine it doing that. Like those characters are so much more flexible. The the left click heal is like really short range, and I'm I actually don't know. Is it an AOE? Like, can you hit multiple things in one target? Like, yeah, I thought it was like the maybe where no no you not the right click. Like, the right click is, is, is particles. It's not the actually left click can splash, not the right click. Oh, you mean the okay. left click? Okay, splash, but like I, if I hit one teammate, does it keep going and hitting the next teammate? Or is it just like you just spread the ticks out between two people? Like May freeze, uh, you cannot hit two people with. Like you can only hit one particle of freeze on one person. Oh, so there's I, no I like. Would, my guess was like, be, it, like it'd behave the I, same. Yeah, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it's the same as the May beam, right? Like that would yeah. be my intuition because it would work the same. And like with May beam, if you were to freeze two people at once, it takes twice as long to freeze them. It's inefficient, right? So spreading. I mean, sometimes you do want to spread heals, but at the same time, I don't think you get like. I think the only thing that gets a ton of value from the AOE thing is is the ult or the orb. Um, which I mean are not insignificant, but at the same time, like I don't know, I just have a hard time imagining like you picking around this hero or it being like that good, because uh, the ult is like a big kill me sign, where you just get jumped and focus super hard. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I think I agree. Know, with that. I, yeah. It's... So it's like you have you have ults like Trance and Valkyrie still in the game, and like you're, I just can't imagine you wanting to give that up. Like Discord is just a ridiculously powerful ability. Like Discord can deal thousands of damage in a fight. Just Discord yeah. because it helps your teammates deal damage, right? So like, if you Discord a Roadhog, you know, like you just cut, you just did thirty percent. Like any, you know, that damage amp is so insane that like, the drain is like, already probably dealing less damage than Zenyatta left clicking and right clicking, and at the same time, like it doesn't seem like you're getting like that much more healing value. The fact that Zenyatta can heal and damage at the same time is seems just yeah. like better like more flexible you don't have to make the decision of do i, I want to heal or do i want to damage I think okay, can we cut through one uh, quick thing here and this is just a it's a theme of support ultimates going forward uh mm-hmm. but what do you think in terms of the idea that maybe some of the very old school support ultimates are a little bit too strong because mm-hmm. even though it didn't work out this way if you listen to developer comments the idea with valkyrie and changing of res was actually to make the team fight swinging of mercy ultimate weaker it didn't work out that way, but that was the intention in the beginning. You t- and then you take a look at the new supports being added, where you have Nano Boost, which is more of a single target, not intended to completely make your team invincible. And now you get this ultimate now in, uh, I think it's called Covalescence, I think is the yeah. actual name, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as yeah. Large Kamehameha-esque B. That is impactful, <laughs> yeah. but it's not hitting everyone at the same time. 
She's got DBZ. I'm just going to call it DBZ. Yeah, 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 DBZ. That's not what I call it ultimately. Good call. Do you think there's an idea maybe that uh, some of the old school support ultimates in the game were a little bit too strong and maybe barrier transcendence should get more weaknesses or vulnerabilities to sort of even that out as opposed to making like this new ultimate crazy or, you know, rebuffing nano boost or anything like that? Just a general idea. Are support ultimates right now a little bit too strong, especially the ones that have been game for a long time? I mean, it's weird, right? Because, like, you might, like, Trance and Beat are probably OP, but they're both, like, counterable. Like, you counter Trance with a Bionade, you counter Beat with EMP. Mm, right. um, for Valkyrie is the best, though, because it has no counters at all. There's literally nothing you can do. Like, EMPing is, like, doesn't really do anything. Like, you need, like, EMP, Aimbot, a Lucio Speed Boost on your Aimbot. Probably a nano or a discord realistically like you need like five things at once so there's no so okay there's no counter it just means you hit there with everything and that's the counter which isn't a real counter obviously it just means the ultimate's too op so like in my opinion like you can't nerf a support before you nerf mercy like valkyrie is just so ridiculous i mean trance is like the problem is that ana is unplayable is like so trance is uncounterable because you don't run ana but if ana was like a little bit less terrible uh and fit better then you can start to and then you start to like maybe grab them bionade like with the new matrix but it's not like bionade was terrible like zen was even a little bit too strong in dive meta too just because even if you did run on it you had like so much matrix to work with it was very hard to get a good nade off on a trance but now i feel like it's more reasonable that as long as Ana becomes playable with like better damage or whatever they do to make her more viable in yeah. general um but just like if that hero's play rate is down like it is right now things like trance seem op when you're not really playing sombra Sombra's weird to be the counter to beat because you can't really run her on most maps. Like, most maps, it's just the packs aren't good enough, and the character's so dependent on packs that, like, that's basically what determines whether it's viable or not. So it's, like, the most one of the most map-dependent heroes in the game for that reason. Um, so that means that Lucio is sometimes uncounterable, like, because you're just not going to run the Sombra. So I feel like I... the game needs, like, more answers to support ultimates. I don't think it necessarily needs weaker support ultimates. Like, I feel like Trance should be godly when you have not, no answers to it, right? Like, just in the same way that, like, Dragon Blade is pretty godly without answers to it. Um, yeah. right. you know, like, like the ultimate should feel like if they don't, if they aren't ready to deal with the ultimate, it should be like really dominant, oppressive, like too powerful. You know, that's like the good side of quote unquote. Everyone feels underpowered, overpowered. But then the flip side of it is like you have to feel like those counterplays are like skillful and, and difficult, but at the same time like achievable. The way that right. they're not for Mercy, and so I, I think it's more like a rebalancing of the counters. Like I think you want you want more heroes that have anti heals. Or like a like a reduce heal or something or or you know I, I just want more like options to deal with shields like maybe another way to break shields for like a single target instead of you know uh, like give give me an EMP dart where I have to like hit a hard dart on someone and it takes away their shields or something yeah right like you know like more like you just get more characters that start to interact with these different abilities I think they'll not seem so overpowered. Uh, I, so I, I think that's more of a feature of like the small roster than anything else. I don't think it's the ultimates necessarily. I think it's just generally the existing or the the original supports have such powerful abilities we're talking res we're talking discord we're talking speed boost we're talking you know like like th and those are in addition to some of those ultimates that you talked about so I, I wonder if the question might be more we just need to you know nerf some of the original ones a bit more so that we can you know, just have a little bit more space. But then you're talking about how does it balance against, you know, the DPS characters thing. So it's in a really tough spot to just adding new heroes and having it actually be be um, more of a foundation to the meta versus just, oh, you know, we're playing Sombra here and there. You know, I, I feel like that's all the new characters. That's that's what they've turned into. We haven't had well, a new character since An Ana, 
maybe Diva and Ana, you know, play a huge part in the meta. They've they've all just been spot starts. So Jake, last question on this before, because uh, we've talked a long time on it, but let's pose this a different way here in the meantime. Given the fact that some support ultimates are really impactful, others uh, less so, what would you feel about a world where, say, Transcendence and Barrier were up maybe two to three times slower than things like Nano Boost or the Moira ult? Do you think that would be better for balance? Putting the theoretical yeah. stuff aside. I think there's a like certain that. point at which you can't do this anymore, but in my opinion, the, the more expensive ults are, the better the game gets. Like, to a extreme point. Like, I don't think you should need to get a grab. Like, if you don't have a good round, you shouldn't get a grab on with Zarya and Koth or something. I don't think you should get a grab if you don't have a good round. Like, that's like the thing that Blizzard will never go past is like that limit where a Zarya player who isn't good at the game just won't get grabs on Koth. So they just can't play Zarya on Koth. I feel like that's like that's like the most expensive. So that's like the, the, the ceiling where Blizzard's like, well, we couldn't ever take away the right of a bad player to always get an ultimate every single game. So, like, that's, like, the limit, I guess, from their design perspective. But in my opinion, I think that, like, make the ults cost 50% more every single ult in the game. I think the game just gets better the more expensive they well, get. Not, I mean, there's a certain point which is probably not healthy, but I think they could go another 25. Okay. But you dodge what I was saying here, which is that for, for support priority, regardless of how expensive you make ults, would it not be better for the weaker support ultimates in the sense that they're not doing quite as much for the game, your nano boosts and your convalescence, to basically be half the cost of say transcendence or barrier and balance things out that way where you get these mm -hmm. ultimates up more often to compensate for the fact that they're not quite as devastating for a team fight yeah i like that a lot i think i think nano's definitely over costed right now um especially the, the way ana heals is like so heal like like you eat the heals on the map because you you put out so many heals on like so many targets that like the other support is going to get very slow ultimates when you have an ana and you end up holding nano a lot of the time because it's not like super fast, like the kind of way like EMP is like maybe you just EMP two or three people and mm -hmm. get a kill or two and it's like it's worth it. Nano is like still a little over caustic because I don't think you can play it like that right now. And I think that's how you should be playing nano. Nano should feel like a third ability. Like it's not that crazy. It's like pretty strong, but you can just kite the nano because there's no speed. So there's like a fundamental answer to it. So I, in answer to your question, I, I really think that Nano and Convalescence could probably do better. I think I'd rather see the Moira ult just get better, though. Like, I don't think it needs to be cheaper. I feel like it's, like, kind of cool and, like, seems really, like, potentially powerful. Like, the it Kamehameha looks powerful, stuff. but it's but like, not... But, like, let her, like... I don't know if she... I haven't tested everything, so maybe I'm just, like, wrong. It's already how it works. But, like, let her, like, blink during the ultimate or something. Like, let her... Or, like, decrease cooldown on blink. I also think what the game needs is more characters with fundamental abilities that never go away. Like, um, I think the best characters in the game are, like, Soldier 76. Tracer is, like, borderline this way because of how short the blink cooldown is. It's like you basically always have blinks, uh, you know, more or less. Uh, you know, uh, Genji, Double Jump, Hanzo, Wall Climb, right? Like, those things, and wall, Lucio Wall Ride is probably the biggest example, I think are just, like, the best or, like, fair jetpacks. Uh, those characters, I think, are the most interesting, the most fun in the game, yeah. that they're not fundamentally cooldown dependent. Obviously, you have characters like McCree who shouldn't have something like that because they're so powerful what they do. But at the same time, like, you know, give Moira something, like, like make more of those. I think, like, that's what their game really needs. And especially from a support perspective, it's probably more important than any other class. Like, Mercy having Guardian Angel. You know, Zen and Ana are incredibly powerful <laughs> characters because they have no right. movement ability. So you make Moira, and she has a movement ability, but it's it's a cooldown movement ability. So it's more like, it's like a grapple hook, you know, which is like, it's a good movement ability. And we've seen how, like, survivable that can make a Widow. But at the same time, it's like old grapple hook is kind of what I would compare it to. The blink is, like, not much better than grappling most of the time. So I, I, I don't know. I have a mix of pains. I just think that, like, you need supports with higher mobility to make them viable. Right, like, right. it's very so hard. What you're saying to, you is Blizzard, 
Blizzard, please leave the ledge jumping in, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah like I think that'd be good. But I don't think, right? Like zero. If you haven't seen it yet, if you haven't seen it yet, you should check it out because yeah. it it's actually yeah. it's extremely skillful. It's not easy to use at all, and it allows for some incredible things. Blizzard. Please leave this in. If it's you're a listening. lot, you know. It, we had this kind of thing with Doomfist too, but it's a lot different when it's a support play um, hero versus a DPS hero. It doesn't. I don't think it, it it really hurts the game as much, you know, being it that way. But anyways, we spent a lot of time talking about more. So let's just kind of like cruise through the rest of uh, you know some of the things like Blizzard World. Uh, they you know they they showed a map that's going to be available to us early next year. Um, pretty cool. I mean, this is like something brand new to Overwatch, so we're not going to spend too much talking about it. But I thought it was kind of cool that we actually are able to cross promote or at least the, the other IPs are able to, to have some presence in the overwatch world, because it, it's always been the opposite. Overwatch has always been in like heroes and things like that. And so we're, we're actually getting a, a chance to experience, you know, Diablo and Starcraft two and things like that in overwatch. So I'm excited to see that map when it comes out. Uh, the short, the Reinhardt short, uh, real quick, like what'd you guys think? How's it rank for you guys? That's like top top few for me. Not a dry eye in the house yeah. at a World Cup, I would say. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Maybe so that, that was that one killed it. I don't know. I I, uh, I thought the this was very middle of the pack for me. What? Uh, oh my god! I don't know. The characters felt so freaking one dimensional and simple. Like obviously, you're not going to get character development in in seven or eight minutes. But Reinhardt was just like this, and the other guy was like this, and there was no in between. Wow. I thought was, the I, I complete know. opposite of that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I felt like there was more plot and more, more type of character development in this one than a lot of the other ones. Um, it's actually my favorite. Feel sad every yeah, time I, I go into a ranked game and a Reinhardt charges out without Reinhardt reason, and it's a fog because on one hand, part of me is going to be upset and go, "Why would you do that?" And then the other half is going to go back to the cinematic and go, "That's really sad. Uh, clearly, someone has died in regards to you going this far out." And that person's going to be me in the back. So I don't know. Maybe That's why I don't made it even better. At all. It's, it's like people could actually relate to that. Those two guys looking at each other. Where's Reinhardt? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, did you ever think about how the short is just a subtle indictment of Harry Butcher? <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah anyways you if, you guys, it, not me. if you guys haven't gotten a chance to see it uh definitely go and check it out on the uh play overwatch youtube channel and uh, you can rewatch it as many times as you want uh another thing too was that they had a overwatch league uh panel or presentation uh none of this actually happened during the keynote that was actually one thing i think a lot of might have surprised a bunch of us uh in the esports space is that they didn't say anything about it in the keynote it was like all about the game and only about the game when jeff was up there so they had a separate presentation that was overwatch centric and this is where they announced like the sket the first week's schedule the fact that they have a new web you know they they revealed the website and the new mobile app um, you know, Nate was up there, but, uh, you know, the biggest thing that stuck out was really just opening week is January 10th and we get a chance to see the matchups. So, um, uh, we also heard, saw that there was, or we heard that there were two conferences that kind of, uh, uh, showed which teams were in which conference. And I have to say, Jake, man, I think Houston got in a pretty nice conference, <laughs> like from what I saw from it, uh, seemed to be ge geographically based, but you know, for whatever reason, they yeah, they I mean, avoided all the, the Koreas. Is, yeah. The line is like Houston. Well, we have Excelsior, which is going to be a solid team. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we have. Uh, um, yeah. Keep thinking, Spitfires, man. Keep, 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 yeah, I mean, it's like it's definitely the easier conference, right? There's no doubt. Yeah. But at the same time, like 
it's not terrible. And I don't think it really matters, right? Because it doesn't affect postseason that much. Like it's just like like if you can win, if you're gonna if you're better than the other than the team in the other conference, then you'll just like roll them in the postseason. And I think if it were like really apparently a problem, then they'll just change it next season. Well, I mean, it's like in the NBA, right? Like, would you rather be the Golden State Warriors that have to literally play through like the top five teams in the NBA just to get to the finals, or would you rather be the Cleveland Cavaliers that literally don't have to beat anybody and get to the finals? So, but by the same token, there's like an advantage to having a harder pool. You like there's higher level of competition. You like play at that level. You're expecting that level, and then the other teams who have like maybe had an easier ride to get there aren't weren't forced in that crucible to improve at the same level. So, like if the top team. You know, if you're the top team in our division and it's like maybe you're not as good as the top team in the other division because you haven't been tested as hard, even if you might have the same potential as the other team, like you haven't had that competition that forces you to improve, it forces you to grow. So I think you could even interpret, uh, like in the long run, you can interpret the Hydro Conference as an advantage, uh, at least in (laughs) in terms of like building players. Yeah, that's the competitive. I mean, I don't think think it really matters too much either way, to be honest. Really? I mean, they have Excelsior and London, dude. Like these are are still strong teams. You're talking about GC Busan, like, on a roster is one of their team is is one of the two teams that they have to worry about. Like that's well, in terms of teams here, since we're going through all the different teams of the conference, uh, it has been one of the more vocal topics of the community. And I'll get your opinion on it here because they have welcomed a four teammate. Uh, Boston is in your division, and they just uh, added on a Boston Neko. Thoughts on Boston's roster now uh, going forward? See you, Jake. Oh, um, yeah. What do you think of Boston? Uh, I mean, it's not looking great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we didn't scrim them on Team USA, so I don't really know. They like didn't want to play us. Um, but the teams that we were rolling said that they were rolling them, so like that's pretty. It's not like a super great. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're like going to be big on the development side. I guess that's like the. I mean, you can't super fault them. Like, I guess they have like a poverty budget. And like, I've heard from a lot of players that basically they only like offered it. minimum or like barely over minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, it's just not an org that I was ever interested in being a part of for a few reasons. Uh, I think a lot of players felt the same. Um, so I think like they definitely had a hard time. Maybe they can, they can like pull out of it with player development, but like the roster on paper doesn't look great. Um, at least it doesn't look like super strong, like like an actual like really worrisome team for us. So I'm not like I don't know. It's it's hard for me to it's hard for me to like um, judge. I guess because I've never played against the team. Like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot. But of just players. like on paper, they look they look weak in my opinion. So yeah. your only experience with Boston then is via transitive property. Where yeah, you- right, which is like not great, but at the same time, when okay. you put a team in the dumpster and they put someone else in the dumpster, it's not just like oh, we went like 4-3 against that team and you went like 5-2 against that team. So we're better than, you know, team three. So, uh, you know, but but when you're like 6-0-ing a team and they 6-0 someone else, it's like, okay, that's like, you. I mean, sometimes sure. the transitive property is accurate. I, I'm just thinking about the, in my head now, I just have an, a mental image of someone like a Reinhardt putting one team in a dumpster and then some putting that Reinhardt in an additional dumpster to try to describe this in my head. But uh, so, no, so I why, mean, the insight is interesting for sure. So why Boston? I mean, there's like a million teams. <laughs> why Boston out of all of those teams? Well, because we had mentioned some of the other teams that were already involved. Yeah, I guess Philly too. Philly's a new one. Yeah, Philly. Yeah, yeah. Philly roster too. As well, and mm-hmm. I know we were going to talk about that a little bit later, but Philly roster has a ton of potential, but it's like yeah. more of a Frankenstein than most other rosters, so it's like a little bit harder to rate. Yeah, because it's yeah. just like it's like more dependent on how they mesh together. Like with us, there's more like baseline synergy because 
at the very least we're gonna have like a few members of FNR GFE playing like uh, uh especially with like the tank line being like I don't, I don't know exactly what we're gonna do but i feel like milman and matt are some of the best players in the game right now so i feel like they should get a ton of play time um they're very hard workers and very very talented players so yeah, like I feel like there's like some baseline synergy that a lot of teams are sort of cashing in on, like Immortals or whatever. Even if they're subbing in new players, they, they you know like a lot of their roster is played together, so there's more of like a comfort level. Um, that's not always a good thing. Like sometimes that means you're like you're like have there's like a cap, I guess, of like you have an idea of how you're all supposed to play the game, and it's harder to innovate when that idea is like more rutted in your mind. Um, but at the same time, like that's I think that's more of like dependent on coaching and staff than, than it is on the players like how the how the organization is, is run around the players yeah well it looks like you're gonna be playing Philly in the first first match of the season and then uh the Excelsior in the second one so what do you think about playing twice every single week because it looks like this is going to be like from just each week is going to have this type of schedule I think it's fine. Like, I'm not worried about playing two matches a week. I mean, you're going to get used to it. You're going to play a lot. And the other thing is, like, the teams that I think should be worried about that are, like, Miami, because they have, like, actually six players. So, to me, like, like what happens if someone gets sick? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to happen, right? Like, even, like, you know, even the players that we think might get a ton of playtime, like, Cool Matter Movement, like, they're going to get sick sometimes. Someone else is going to have to play. Like, they're, oh, they're going to be, like, playing bad, or they have to, like, family emergency, right? Like, things kind of, th you know, real life happens, right? And if you're playing two matches a week, it's very, very likely that eventually, you know, one of those matches, you're going to have someone who's like, I don't know, I don't know what their what their options are when they actually have six. So it seems like that, I think, are probably the most recent. But if you have like a 10, 12-man roster that's like deep and has a lot of options on every role, then you're not like, I don't know, I don't think you're super stressed out about it. Like, you're going to just get more used to playing more matches. And it's going to also, also sort of be like, all right, well, this is just the preseason. You know, you're going to do take it with a grain of salt. Like, you want to do well. You want to have a good placement for postseason. But at the same time, like, it's not like yeah. the end of the world if you're kind of fatigued and you don't do as well in a match as you as you would have wanted to, right? Like, and I think it's fine. Like, it's not like like if it were like three, four maps matches a week, then you start to get to this point where you're like you're playing matches every other day. There's no like just time to just work and practice. But two matches a week, it, it seems a lot more feasible. Than cool. it doesn't seem too much. So one thing just to add on to that too, and what you're mentioning and all that is that the other reason why I feel like teams do need a deep roster, and you know, it does make the Miami decision all the more perplexing, is that. Realistically speaking, when you look historically in Overwatch, we've seen players tail off over time where they start out really well, and over the course of three months, they don't play anywhere near as well. It's not even just all the different factors of, well, what if the player is sick? What if a family thing comes up? Sometimes players, just like players will rise up, sometimes players will fall, and you have to have a backup in place where your guy who was a superstar three months ago was suddenly anything but because maybe he's not practicing anymore. Maybe he doesn't care about the game. Maybe all these other factors that can cause a player to go from hero to zero. So I do think having backups is important. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one, yeah. one of the things uh, that not a ton of people have talked about from Nate Nanzer's uh, announcements is actually the format of Overwatch League. It's uh, employing some really interesting stuff that, I quite literally have never ever seen in sports or esports before. So just to break it down for you guys, if you're if you're not fully uh, up to date, there's going to be four stages within the season, which which is about a seven month long season. You're gonna have four separate stages that reset the rankings during each stage, and each stage is almost kind of like a mini tournament in itself. In that, at the end of the stage, uh, there's going to be prizes awarded to the top team so first place is going to take home 
a hundred thousand dollars uh in the state in in each stage so i can place twenty five thousand. so this kind of makes it so like even if a team is getting trounced in the first stage they could potentially come back and make a good amount of prize money even if they even if they don't even have a chance for playoffs for instance like there's always kind of something to fight for and the way that they structured this which is weird which is interesting i've never seen this before uh and then even the regular season um instead of playing paying out prize pools just in the playoffs they actually are paying off a, a big portion of the prize pool just for the regular season placements so it's oh, not cool. like yeah like yeah. there's so many sports where it's like towards the end of the season and x team is not doing well so they're throwing or not not throwing but like you know trying to rebuild is the term or, or get high draft picks. always yeah, yeah. yeah they're trying to get graphics there's basically literally for every team there's always a reason to play as hard as you possibly can which is actually super interesting i've never seen anything like this before well i, I think uh, this so, kind of structure uh, is good for supporting the entire league too and not just you know top heavy type of things like the the few teams that do succeed are the ones that get all the, the benefits like look how much prizes pool like this is crazy I mean, 1.7 in the playoffs, but I mean, if I did the math there, there's probably like close to a million just in the regular season placement bonuses. That's awesome. But just to your point there, this is not something, uh, obviously just kidding, but this is where mid-season team is doing well. They want to go for draft picks if there ever was a draft. That's when they go for DeFran on the mid-season signing to play Torbjorn for the rest I of the you season. Filing while I was and talking. then everyone... You're just waiting to give the... <laughs> for this joke. Wow. <laughs> I really classic ZP guys. <laughs> classic. Well, anyways, I think this is really, really cool. Just the more and more um or all the information that we received during BlizzCon generally. I mean, it, for me at least personally, I, I didn't know a lot of these things. Um, you know, it just made me even more excited. Definitely any reservations, you know, not in all of them, but at least some of the reservations I had definitely were were um you know, uh, re or removed, you know, after hearing just more and more of, of just uh, all the details that they have going here. Um, but let's just get to talking about the World Cup event now, because, you know, that's that's obviously the big thing that happened at BlizzCon and just super hype. Uh, me and Ben definitely watched a lot of it together out in the crowd. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we just kept track of the entire time was really, you know, Ben's job is to keep track of this is, you know, just the, the viewership. So Ben, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, you, if you saw me in the audience, I was just on my phone like the whole time, just <laughs> refreshing Twitch constantly. That's what I do when I go to esports events. Uh, over 300,000 viewers, people. Not just when the U.S. played, but also on day two uh, for, for the grand finals. We had basically the same viewership. This is a huge benchmark. Um, personally, I was expecting well over 200,000, which is what we hit last year. But given the fact that, let's be real, like Overwatch Esports has been in a semi-slump for the last six, eight, nine plus months. So it was super, super encouraging to see over 300,000 viewers across all of the streams. I'm I think it was about 315,000 uh, viewers. It's a lot more than that if you add like the China numbers and the oh, yeah. Yeah, streams. Yeah, for like, sure. But even just like, the Nate's one. saying something about a million, so... Yeah, across yeah. all streaming platforms, which is like I, I never know what to think of Chinese numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the China numbers are always like a little haha, -ha, but like even if you don't count China, you're still looking at like an easy 500k. Yeah, across all streaming equivalents. Which the is important like thing to the important thing about all the numbers to me is this idea that last year at World Cup, uh, World Cup got pretty good numbers as well. Like 200, but it did tail off after the opening ceremonies, and a lot of people, perhaps correctly who knows, did attribute a lot of the viewership to the idea that they came for opening ceremonies and they just sort of left things on uh, as it went forward. 
you cannot make that claim about this year's World Cup numbers where the numbers drastically increased after opening ceremonies. You didn't have a case where it went down below it. You couldn't entirely blame it on that. No, because of the way that it was advertised, because you had in-game advertising, because every social media venue that Blizzard had access to was popping up the World Cup, it got very good viewership. And of course, it helped that the games themselves were incredibly good, some of the best Overwatch we've ever seen. So once people got in the door, it seemed like they stayed, which is a really positive thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the cool things too that I think helped with the viewership is that we actually saw an in-game in-game or in-client ad that people could actually click on, which is, you know, a lot of people have been talking about that for a while and we 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 finally saw it during this weekend. And let me show you a picture of it. And there was a, a watch button at the at the bottom of this thing. So I, I wonder how many we actually got from that. Yes, I wonder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they need to do that. Just like It's phenomenal forward. because everyone got super excited when we saw eSports in the launcher. But the launcher, who looks at the launcher? Who yeah, looks, new, I, looks I, at I news never in the launcher? on those things. When it's <laughs> like you open up Overwatch and the entire screen is an advertisement for the World Cup. And there's a big fat button taking up 25% of the screen that says watch now. That's amazing and absolutely had a huge, huge, huge part in getting over 300,000. But really, and I'm just going to use this as the segue here, really, it was thanks to the quality of games. Throughout the entire Mm -hmm. tournament, we saw nail-bitingly close games. We saw three different teams take a map off South Korea. Of course, the USA versus South Korea uh, match is easily the most memorable uh, game we've had in pro Overwatch so far. So let's just segue right into that into that match. Uh, mm-hmm. Jake, of course, uh, one of the captains of the team uh, and played amazing. So Jake, I, I, let's just start with you, man. How did that feel playing on stage, hearing the audience roaring like that and, and playing against such high-level opponents? For me, it was just like a ton of fun. Like, you know, the mentality I go into the games with is just like try to have fun. Uh, and obviously, like, you know, you're still taking it very seriously because for me, winning is fun. Um, but at the same time, like, you want to, like, stay positive, you know, like, psych- be, like, psyched. You know, when someone makes a big play, you want to, like, be like, hell yeah, man. Like, that's all, you know, it's awesome, right? Like, you want to make sure that you're not just, like, pure, like, the total practical. Like, sometimes you want to say some impractical stuff, like, we're owning or whatever, like, just to keep team morale high and, and keep everyone, like, focused and in high spirits. So, for us, like having the crowd behind us makes that super easy because like, you know, like the people love that, you know, like when you make a huge play and like you hear the crowd roar like that, I mean, you kind of, that's just like amazing. It makes you feel like you want to play even better. I want to do even more. Um, I love that also that the crowd wasn't like totally one-sided. Obviously it was like yeah. a hometown crowd and supporting us, but then like there's a bunch of people, I could even hear the bunch of people like cheering for the, for, for the Koreans when they would make a big play. And like, I like that actually. I like that there are fans on both sides. I think that was like, the one thing about the Korean crowd I have to say is that there weren't that many Korean uh, fans out there, obviously way, way more us fa- uh, fans, but they were super coordinated. Like there was the actually like a yell leader the out there. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of cool. In regards to the crowd uh, microphones. And I, I don't know if this is 100% true. This is just what I've heard. I haven't independently verified or anything like that, but apparently, um, Obviously, even though USA fans were outnumbering Korean fans there, one of the primary crowd microphones that's there to pick up noise was next uh, to two uh, very dedicated Korean fans that were 
you know, screaming every time Flower did something well. So I, I guess I got picked up on uh, stream because there's like multiple different Reddit threads and comments and all the rest about it. I actually haven't gone back and detailed the review of the VODs, but so people know the way that crowd noise gets piped in is that you do have crowd microphones in oh, the it was great. I, I area. The so yeah. if you're next to like one particular uh, set of people that are being really vocal, like they'll actually have a big impact on the crowd noise as you perceive it. Yeah. Uh, the, the VOD sounded really really good i mean it sounded probably like there was an even bigger crowd than we actually had and, and that's always amazing on a broadcast but um you know we were live like we we were there you know definitely when the usa usa chants were there and even when it when it died down um you were able to see just you know the the korean folks i think we were even sitting maybe close to one korean fan who was literally the only guy in our section but man whenever the koreans made a big play yeah. you just stand up and just start yelling to the top of his lungs um, but it's the most fun I've had, I have to say, like at an esport event since like, man, maybe oh, yeah, MLG man. at the, like Starcraft two. And that is an amazing sign, at least for me, like personally, you know, just being able to get into it and the environment was just, it felt like a big esport event, even mm -hmm. though it's just the world cup, you know, it's like, this is more or less kind of a, an exhibition, you know, more than it is like, you know, the main league or anything like that. So if we can execute in that way you know for for this type of format we should be able to do it you know for the main league itself you know i'm excited to see what it is and, and jake i actually want to ask you about the games themselves so let, let, let's talk about this matchup a little bit uh you know one thing you had been pretty vocal about how your thoughts on mercy and junkrat and ranked and how it, it adds kind of a random factor but given the current meta and everything the last two years in context, this was easily one of the best displays of skill and just brain versus brain. Uh, I, I think one of the commentators at one point said, this is like a chess match, and I completely agree. You could see those mind games ZP, unfolding. Yeah. I think that was ZP. Yeah, <laughs> I remember I, I, it too. For, yeah. yeah, especially on Hanamura. There were a couple moments there that were absolutely incredible. Um, your general thoughts on the meta, uh, and the, the, just the level of gameplay was was that like the highest level Overwatch you've ever played? I mean, for me personally, I'd say it was like a peak, like in, in that sense, like just trying to play really, really well. I think I did some things really poorly. Like I think my calls were, were weaker in the series than they could have been. I was more focused on like playing my own role because I had to work like super hard to stay alive. I would say in those games, like, I had to be really <laughs> focused on my positioning. Yeah, because they're so good at like punishing mistakes. So I think my calling fell off a bit. Um, which probably had some negative consequences. Um, there were a couple of times where when I think it was like severe when I, I really should have like had better calls and had better leadership to make sure we like reorganized quicker. Um, like our Eichenwald last attack kind of stalled out because we just kept getting picked because they were just folding so aggressively, uh, which we weren't ready for. Uh, and that, that was definitely on me in terms of like just needing to like call more clearly and get a more like clear strats. So we get like one good fight instead of just trickling back a cart and doing nothing. Um, well, I have two things I want to ask you there uh, before we go too much further on the calls is that there's really two months I want to bring up because the storyline and sort of the post-mortem is that this was actually in an alternate universe, fairly uh, close to being a 3-0 for the yeah, USA. Very if, close. Uh, 
Yeah. Basically, there's two fights. You have the final fight on Hanamura, which you guys definitely could have taken where you had an edge. And you also had the final fight on Eichenwald where, well, not the final fight. I would say the fight where everyone started feeding, (laughs) where you guys had a huge edge pushing in and... You know, you di- you didn't have the primal rage at the door to block things off, and yeah. you guys kind of fell apart. So, can you walk us through that Eichenwald fight where you guys were pushing and had the alt edge, and also the final Hanamura fight, and sort of where that all went down? Um, honestly, I, I just I watched the vod of the um the Eichen attack, like the one like the last real attack before we started trickling, the one that we should have won. Um, I didn't really know what was happening in that fight because I was just controlling the right spawn door because uh, you can only really control one spawn mm-hmm. door at a time, on, even on junk. And I knew the Mercy had to go right because um, that's like the safer route. Uh, I ended up getting like a double kill on the people coming out of spawn because I had the damage boost on. So getting the Trace for Mercy down really fast was good, get junk out as well. Um, but I think what happened was like we had lost, like I, I want to say it was like maybe Sinatra or, or someone, like we had lost someone like early in the fight. So it was kind of like a 5v whatever they have alive. Uh, and then what happened was I used my tire to take the diva out of the mech, which, you know, maybe Pat could have primaled there and kept her in spawn. I don't know, though, because as soon as she gets jump jets, she just goes out and Pat, you can't stop her anymore. So it's not like crazy. I think it probably was a mistake not to primal there, but it's not like a big one. I don't know if that's really what lost us the fight. Um, I mean, I they like played the, I think Sabi only came out and get like a double yeah. catch. So the, the right. thing is, they're they really good at, in those clutch situations. Like they don't overcommit. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like it was like we had lost people earlier and they were like respawning and coming back. So when they were able to get the nuke out, get back and mech because the nuke zoned me so I couldn't get on the, the D.Va herself. Mm-hmm. It was like a really good nuke from Zumba because it kept it was like right on top of the card and he just hid behind it. So no one could actually push up and frag him while he's in pistol D.Va, uh, which ends up being like a really, really hard thing to beat. Um, and then I think uh, once they got them back in mech, then they got like the trance out. And then by the time that trance was on the mech, it was like kind of already over in the sense because by that point the mercy and the tracer are already respawning. Toby like has Valkyrie, and we just you just don't really win in that situation. So I think it was just kind of like a really good bomb from Zumba on top of like a really timely trance from Rujehong. Um, that's really what won that fight. Like it was just like it was like not over committing, just putting one put the diva on the cart, let me let me blow her up with the tire. She nukes, she gets back in mech. Then, like, once you start taking damage after we're coming out from uh, behind from hiding from the nuke, then right then is when we're, he's getting trance, so we can't go to the mech anymore. And then by that, and then like you, you know, the trance goes for three or four more seconds, and then by that point, the mercy and the tracer come out. So I feel like it was kind of like those two ults were like all they needed. They didn't really need like a ton of ults, and then they had the Valkyrie afterwards anyway. So I think it was like it was like we had, I think we had lost someone earlier on in the fight. And that was kind of what did it, right? Because you have more players there. Maybe well, you have so, somebody who can run up right. on the baby diva and kill her before she gets back in suit. Uh, or like, a, you know. Uh, so I, like I guess maybe uh, was the question, I mean, was it really that achievable then? I mean, if really. I mean, it was definitely winnable. It was like yeah. one of those fights that's like super close. Like, I think yeah. probably affect primals that even spawn and slows her down. Maybe they never touch. I think he was expecting them to just get a guaranteed touch because Tracer is like, you can't stop her from touching. So mm-hmm. sometimes you just don't really care about trying to keep them in spawn because you just say, well, we have to win the fight. Like, we're not going to just end. We have to get them. Uh, we have to just, like, win a fight. So maybe it's better to be conservative with my ult and just use it to, like, stay alive forever on Winston. Yeah. Um, but I think being down players meant we had to go for, like, more of an aggressive fight win, like, not, like, a kill six players, like, a kill the fast characters and just cap before the slow characters get there. Right. Um, which we didn't do okay. in the moment. Uh, I, I also think comms got a little unclear there. Like it was like a lot of people calling a lot of stuff because it was a big hectic moment. 
Well, something that supports the idea that comms got unclear for you guys is sort of what happened after that fight where there was a lot of staggering going on where, I mean, sure, a lot of it was obviously South Korea was playing really well and maximized with their opportunities to get picks towards the end. But, you know, at that stage, you can't have someone like walk out of spawn and just get like dumpstered by the junkster. And that happened like two, three times. Still- and you guys never really got a good solid final push because of all the staggering coming out for the final minute. Yeah, and that's what I mean about that being on me, because I'm supposed to be the one who's, like, going to reorganize in that kind of moment, and then just, like, make sure that everyone's on the same page, and we know, like, the route that we're going to take to move through the forward hole, um, so we can actually, like, ball up and protect one another with tanks, um, and I didn't really do that, honestly, so it's something, like, my bad on that front, like, the reason we didn't get another fight, I don't think we really win that fight too often, but at the same time, it's, like, at worst, it's, uh, like, you know, 25% of the time you win, yeah. so it's pretty... It's definitely a pretty significant mistake by me not to like have better columns there and like reorganize. We could have won them out there, but then even then, if we cap, we still have like the minute minute on first, which probably favors us because our first point attacks were so good. You almost held them. Quite so strong defense, right? Like yeah, the the first hole was super close as well. So it was just like a lot of um, and I I, I'm the one who lost the first hole anyway because I went too aggressive on the farad. I got caught out and I didn't even die somehow. Like I just dodged like six. From Farrah rockets, like he just missed a bunch of times, and I jumped out with the conch and like somehow managed to live with one HP. I remember being on four HP and just like seeing Saviobe not looking at me, and I'm just like, well, I'm not shooting at him. Uh, and, <laughs> right, uh, right. Running for like a pills or whatever, but by that point it was too late. Like I had already given up too much position for my team. So, so to, to talk about Hanamura a little bit, because I feel like the Hanamura map was the best map of the entire, I would say, tournament. Um, I, yeah, I know it ended in a draw, but. Still, it was like, still like that was a draw. You're not, you know, that was just like that was a draw. Like that was a deserved draw. Yeah. I mean, the really the big thing, like I feel like on defense, we were pretty rock solid. Honestly, I don't feel like we were ever going to lose that last fight on defense. Like the one we were go- when we were going for the full hold, it felt mm-hmm. really like it felt like we just owned them. Um, like once once I mean, I just cleaned up Flyer and Mono, and at that point they're trickling and like they, they can't ever get a good contest. We had like really good fights. We really knew how to deal with the widow. By that point, we had like evolved our game over the t- previous two defenses, and we were really ready for the widow. Um, and it didn't seem like the widow really got anything done against us that time uh, with how prepared we were. But then the biggest thing for me was the offense was like, it's actually pretty unlucky. Like, Rockets called that he was super close to res because he was at like 98 or something or like 95, like really like like a one left click situation where you could just get trans and pop it. Um, so Adam reses him right as the diva drops nuke, which is like at that point, you like, oh, you're not, he doesn't even know the diva drops nuke, really right? So it's the same time. Right. So if you watch, you can even see it on cam, he like moves like one inch and gets killed by the nuke. And there's just there's nothing he could do. Like there was no escape path for him on Zen. So we just it, we didn't have that trance, and that trance would have been a definite game winner. Because oh, then we have a trance to match their trance, and then yeah. Marcus lives. We stabilize with me. So like we would definitely win if the trance oh. goes off. We definitely win if Saviolli doesn't get a two K with like I think he oh. missed the pulse on Adam yeah. and hits yeah. the mantra. I think yeah. he wasn't actually aiming for that. So that's yeah. not super unlucky. Um, and then he one clips Adam, which is just him being good. It's not unlucky. Um, and then they they get the trance back in. So it's like. The bomb killing Rockus, we, we would have won if that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would have won if Sabiobli got only one kill instead of two kills. But realistically, if he doesn't pulse bump Sinatra there, he doesn't get anything because Sinatra will just fight him with a mercy beam and own him. Um, so, like, just a lot of really unlucky things there at the very end. I don't think, I think aimbotting was wrong at the end for me because when they had, I guess, I don't know if I popped it before mm-hmm. the trance, but I should have known that they had trance and then not aimbotted because the only way to kill mercy is actually hit like three headshots and then rocket melee. Because that actually goes faster than, than trance damage. But the aimbot body shots do not do faster damage than trance heals. So aimbotting was a mistake, I guess. But it was like, I don't know, man. I'm going to fucking pop my aimbot. Like, there's some <laughs> people to shoot at the end of the game. Like, I'm going to press that button. 
Sometimes so, you just got press queue. It happens. To yeah, like, and, and that was a moment where it's like, queue. honestly, like I think I would make that same mistake a hundred times out of a hundred. But even even if it wasn't right, it's pro- it feels right. And I didn't know they had trans. I could have. It could have been ninety five, and then RJH dies, and they lose also. But it was just like two a massive double kill from Sabio will be like absolutely massive. And then um, on yeah, top yeah. of the the diva nuke and res timing being pretty unfortunate with our trance, we didn't get a trance off. Uh, it was kind of like a lot like a perfect storm for them in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like I think we really. Felt like we were going to win that map there for a moment. Um, it, it was really that close. So that map was, but that map was also amazing. Like so many, every offense and defense felt different. And yeah, like, y'all, y'all's first point, stuff. first point attack on the last, you know, like the last iteration. I felt like that was, that, that was some of the best play I think I, that I saw the USA team have. It's just on that point, like how patient you guys were. I mean, it was a lot of just like, like positioning and mm-hmm. and we knew it was a one fight situation. Exactly. Like when you have a minute left, yeah. it's a one fight situation. Like you don't get two fights, so there's no point in like trying to go for a rush fight. Because if you go for a rush fight and you lose, then they have ults and the second fight is unwinnable. So it's like not there's no point in going for a slow bad fight or going for like a fast bad fight like a trash a trash push or whatever. Um, so I think from us it was just like a, you know trying to like take control the same way we had taken control before, but this time on the soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we did a good job of zoning. I think it really came down to, like, some... Yeah, like, it, it felt like we played well and actually got unlucky. Like, the communication was like, all right, like, Rockus is like, I'm 95, res me. So Adam reses him. But, like, right as Adam is going in for the res, the diva drops the nuke. And Adam's not going to, like... You're not no, going to, no, like, No, 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 no. Exactly. He's already going in. He's already, like, smashing his E as he flies in. So, you know, the timing was, like, basically doesn't get worse for us. Um, and then, on top of that, the CV always stuff. So it felt like we played really well that map. It actually felt like we like our team play was like doing more than their like individual pop off plays, like the flower hitting crazy shots on Widow. It felt like our team play was like getting us even more value than that was, just from the coordination and stuff. So I was definitely really happy with how we played on that map. I felt like it was a draw that was like for some kind of unlucky reasons. Another thing, I made a really bad mistake on like not the last last hold, but the the middle one where they got the four points. Um, I made a huge mistake, like playing passive. I should have been more aggressive because it let Saviobi like sneak all the way in behind and pulse rockets at the start of the fight, which is why we ended up losing it. Like realistically, if we just hold there, then we cap last and win, and there's no yeah. f- further overtime. Even if we just held at 99% or something, we'd still have won the game. So that was a bad, really bad mistake by me, not controlling space or scouting to to know where the tracer was going to be, and a smart play by Saviobi, like ready to get in position and punish that kind of mistake. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. Definitely, there's like some more stuff to talk about, but just like real quick, uh, I mean, how did you just feel like skill wise against the Koreans? I mean, did everybody feel even with the Koreans there? You know, because you know, I think a lot of people that that have been hearing things, and including us, even on the show, like we're we're thinking you guys would have a really good shot, but most you know, you could tell even we were rocking around, right? Just the the next day, that most of the the entire venue thought. U.S. had no chance, and it was even marketed in a way. You know, some of the casters or some of the analysts were even, you know, like like j- just on the Korean boat, you know, big time, and that U.S. was going to get beaten pretty easily. So, um, yeah, how did you feel just how it measured up? How you guys measured up just generally against the Koreans? Uh, it didn't feel – I feel like the biggest difference, like, in terms of, like, just, like, overall team skill was their endurance, like, their ability to, like, stay – I, I mean, then again, like, I think if we had won Hanamura or Aiken, we'd probably win the series. Um, just, like, coming off of, like, that. It's, like, super hard to have two games in a row like that that, like, you feel like you should win and, like, you probably should have won most of the time and then you end up losing because they clutch you. Yeah. So, for us, I think we definitely played, like, kind of poorly on Gibraltar, honestly. Like, it was, like, okay, it's just nothing special. And then we just didn't have, like, a great answer to the Widow. 
Um, Qatar just we went. We probably off. should have been. We should have been more prepared. I mean, he, he did have a huge game on Gibraltar I mean, as well. So, but like <laughs> yeah. at the same time, by the same token, we can be more prepared for him. We can counter strat that, uh, and we should have better positioning, honestly, because yeah. we kind of got just like picked. Like it wasn't even like they like pressured us super hard. It was like he just jumps in and gets yeah. a pick, um, just without any team support. So that's like on us. I would say just like that's like on our play, not being up to par, ready to deal with that uh, the flower widow, which is I think bigger on me as like a, a an Indian leader. Like you have to be ready to prepare people to deal with that kind of thing, no matter how good he is at Widow. Because uh, it's very deal-withable on yeah. that map. It's just like, you just need to do what you're supposed to do. And probably should have picked other stuff. Like, we had practiced a comp that was really, really good. The single healer comp with Soldier and Roadhog. Um, but we hadn't played against, like, a super great Widow maker with it. And I think Widow was, like, in some ways the answer to that comp because it's so easy to kill Mercy. Just, like, a powered-up body shot will just do so much to her that she's an easy kill for a Winston or a D.Va or a Tracer. So... Widow was like a great answer to what we we had run, and we went we didn't have like another comp um, like super well practiced, so we just kind of went with what we practiced, which is sure. yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think it's probably the right decision. Like going something totally new and different, we probably just lose just because we don't really know how to play it, even if it's the right comp. Um, so I think it was more like it was like you know execution stuff at that point. Um, All right, yeah. So yeah but then, then Oasis, they just had like the ground game so solid on Fair Mercy. I think like Oasis was already always going to be a super hard map for us to win. Uh, mostly because I'm not incredibly confident in the fair 1v1 and I feel like they have such a good grasp of the, the ground game on the, the fair mercy comps like their tanks are so like good at getting super high value in those matchups which is that most matchups are all about value because you have less burst with Farah, right. um more like consistent long range over time um, so they, they're really really good at just living forever and getting value um, and and I, I think like in a lot of ways like they had us beat at the by, by that point not, not that it was over but at the same time like that was like Definitely was a much harder map for us to win than the earlier maps. So you kind of feel like, oh fuck, we lost those maps. Like, I really need to do well this time. And yeah, yeah. I, just wasn't I, felt, I felt like even there was maybe maybe a little bit of an energy. You know, like th there was a little bit. Less I, I was of, it was for sure tired yeah. and like fatigued. I mean, yeah, they're fatigued yeah. too, right? So like, it shouldn't be a big deal. But at the same time, like, um, I think Gibraltar was a huge momentum swing in the series where we we kind of got just like outstrated on Gibraltar and then. They carried that like momentum through to the next map. They were totally ready for like our soldiers in on city center. Like they knew how to deal with it, just go super aggressive. So just I think for us in. it was like a lot of um, good play uh -oh. from them. They knew how to play the long series, really. I'll say one thing about Gibraltar though is that generally speaking, from the casting end, when you uh, when you're casting, you can sort of be like, okay, well this team isn't doing obvious thing. X here that you should be doing in the situation. Like a good example would be if you have a widowmaker going off. You have a team that tries to ignore the widowmaker doesn't pressure it, and as a result, gets wrecked. That didn't really happen to you guys, where even if you were to go back in hindsight and go, okay, maybe we should have changed uh, X to Y, or you know, could have gone with a different approach, from the outside in, it did feel like, at, in many respects, an execution battle where you had players like Matt trying to get in on uh, Flower into the back line, but you had Flower not only getting really good support, but just landing every single shot at points, where you're just like, what? <laughs> where, in a sense, Flower was bending the rules of the game where, okay, you put X amount of pressure on a Widowmaker, Widow should fall or not be effective, and then suddenly you have Flower going, oh, actually, uh, these are the rules now. I'm just going to live here and headshot three people in a row. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's like, a lot of times when you play against characters like Widow and uh, McCree, there's like there's like a gambling aspect from the side of the, the Tracer or Genji or whatever, or, or the characters fighting against those players. Because sometimes you just have to, like, gamble that they miss, right? You just, like, run at them. You know, like, I play Soldier, I just run at the Widow. It's just like, okay, like, I mean, 
I, I have like some control over where this team is. Like I can have like really good movement and I can like put a rocket on them early to like just dis- disorient them and, and make them miss their first shot. So there's like some plays you can make, but like they're not super reliable plays. And at the end of the day, even if you make all those plays, they could still just hit a really hard shot and then you just die. So there is like that element of like you can't really deal with a widow who's gonna hit every shot. Like if you had an actual aim bot, of course, you would just roll things on widow, right? It wouldn't wouldn't matter what the enemy team did. You just hit too many headshots. Um, Someone was saying he had like seventy nine percent. Yeah, he, he definitely he had like insane. that was like the best yeah, widow I ever played against. It was so like I mean you know like was, but but at the same time like it doesn't mean he's unbeatable, right? Like you know we had we had good plays. No, as well. he wasn't nearly think, as good the second day as he was that. Yeah, game. no, I think he was like in our game. It felt like I felt like they were playing better, but I mean that's the thing. You kind of rise to the occasion, right? Like you know if you're playing against a team that isn't that's like you know like the way Canada was playing, where they're basically just yep. playing one strat every map and just like everyone's just on a comfort pick and they're just like let's just go and like everyone just like. Do, do well, everyone get frags, and like we'll probably win some fights. It wasn't really about like what's the perfect strat for the situation. It was more like we can play this pretty well everywhere. Let's just run it and hope for the best. I feel like that strategy is like, yeah, you take Junker Town from the Koreans, but you'll never win a series like that. You'll literally never win a series like that against them. Like they will never well, lose to the same comp over the, and over the again. Because yeah, really, they're yeah. so good at adapting. So like the, for us, it was like just a matter of like I think every time we adapted, they had to adapt too. And that's what made the series so close. That's why some of the other series, like I feel like even though they, they were like dropping maps, uh, it felt like they had a lot of really tight control on a lot of these series where it never really felt like the Koreans were like on the back foot. Even when they lost maps, it felt mm-hmm. like it was pretty it felt like they kind of like didn't too. know what to do. Like like on, on Junkertown, it just felt like they didn't know how to deal with that comp. And then like they like figured it out and destroyed them the next map. And then France France definitely did, I think, yeah, better. I think France, France was, actually like, played them better than Canada. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think Canada was, was like probably would have lost to France, honestly. Um, One thing uh real quick though, I thought was interesting too you mentioned this idea of rising to the occasion but i certainly i think there was a lot of pressure on the team usa players to play well but i don't think it was it might not have been anything compared to what the korea players are under pressurized where if you uh there was a recent interview where uh marine one of the committee members was just talking about how stressed out he was watching it and this is just as committee where he was worried about all the feedback negative feedback you would get if south korea ended up losing (laughs) for people going well you should have picked this person you should have picked that person so even though this is a fun exhibition match you know for team usa in the very end it's sort of like all right we put up a good effort i don't know if south korea could have had that same attitude if they ended up falling here just with all the pressure from the fans there all the strong opinions on certain players that perhaps should have been involved that weren't and all the rest. So I, I do feel like to some extent that uh, South Korea was also playing not only just to win, but also to avoid getting flayed if they ended up losing uh, both the players and certainly the uh, committee members on the side, just uh, holding their breath. Yeah. I think That's... in some sense, it's like a positive in other senses or sometimes it's a negative. In other senses it's a positive. Like I know Sabi Obi like definitely feeds off pressure like that. Like, for him, I feel like his best plays were always when they were, like, about to lose. Like, always in the moment where it's, like, mm-hmm. yeah. we're behind on tempo. Everything is going wrong here. Like, we cannot win this fight unless someone pops off and CBLB goes out and just, like, kills two things by himself with just pulse pistols, right? Just, like, hits every shot and just, like, dominates you, right? Like, it felt like him as a player was, like, the more pressure we put him under, like, the more intense the situation was for South Korea, the more likely he was to have a big play. And I know for him as a player, that's, like, very much the case that, like, those extremely high-pressure situations, like, they fuel him. Like, he lives for that stuff. So for him, I think, like, it was, it was uh, uh, like, like you know, being put in those situations, it's kind of like, you know, he's comfortable there. He's comfortable in the clutch. He's ready for it. 
And I think that was probably a big difference between South Korea and, and the U.S. team. Like, that was our probably our biggest difference, the thing that won them the series. And yeah. I think the reason we lost well, clutch was, like, is in, the... those, in those extreme ultra-high-pressure moments where you, you could argue they were under more pressure than us because if they lose, they look super bad. And if we win, we look super good because it's, like, you know, the underdog, whatever. And um, But I think, like, they like there's players on that team who don't care about that or, like, no, they don't care, but it's that it's like it doesn't slow them down. They're so experienced. They're not They've scared. Like they're They've like been there before. they're like they're gonna go. They're gonna turn it up to eleven in those situations. They're not right. gonna scale it back because they're they're worried about something. So that was like inspiring to see as a player that like that's like the kind of competitive mindset and intensity you have to have to succeed at the highest level to compete with the Korean teams. It's like you have to be ready for that. You have to be ready for those kinds of situations, and you have to actually be better in those situations because you know that they will too. Like they're going to step it up in those last you know, 10 seconds, like they're going to go all out. And if you're not ready to do exactly the same and play like crisp, really intelligent overwatch in the highest pressure situation of your life, you're just not ready to beat the Koreans. So I think so, for me, it was like yeah. eye opening to the level we have to reach. So one uh, key thing there, you mentioned the idea of clutch and it did keep happening over the course of the series, not just against you guys, but against other teams as well. But I, I think Hex actually summed it up most uh, in the backstage element where, you know, he just channeled his inner uh, Jesse Pickman said he, can't, you know, they can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> where just when you think like, oh, okay, they're actually going to lose in this map. It's just like, nope, nope. Oh, miraculous comeback. I mean, that's what always happening. happens. I mean, that happens. And happening. It, I mean, it happens and in happening. sport. It's, it happens in sports, too. I mean, like Golden State went on that crazy run, you know, like a couple of, like trying to go 23. for. 28-3. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, they had the same thing. Like, so they, they'd be down in a lot of games, and then all of a sudden they'd come back and win. So, yeah, the great teams, they have another level. They always talk about another gear. And, um, you know, the Koreans, those players in particular, at least two or three of those players, they definitely have another gear that we saw. And, and that was one of the reasons why it was su such an epic weekend. Uh, but we got to move on, guys. We've been talking a lot about those matches. Let's talk about the spec mode because the spec mode was, you know, one of the things that they debuted. We've been waiting, especially on this show, to really see it. And I, I would personally was super excited to get a chance to see all of these things that people were hinting at. Uh, but Ben, yeah, what was your first impressions of just everything you saw? Oh, so much good. Uh, I, I was actually one of the first people to speak out during the first match, UK versus Sweden. It was light blue and white. Yeah. And that was really hard uh, to discern which team was which. Uh, I, I was super worried that maybe this wasn't the spec mode that was promised that, that we've all been needing for so long. But after that match, there was enough contrast between the, the home team, which was the bright colors, and the away team, which is the white colors, that it was super easy to see what was going on at all times. This is a huge market improvement in viewability. There's no question about it whatsoever. The new coloration has made a massive difference, but that was just the beginning. We also had things like the minimap come into play. Um, Chris, you know I've been a fan of having more third-person top-down views in general in, in Overwatch spectating. Well, this is that times a thousand usefulness like this is that but perfect you could see everyone's positioning where they were looking what they were doing it helped tell the story in such a more complete way in fact i'm gonna go out on a limb and say right now we're gonna see way more minimap in the future uh, it was too oh, good it's gonna sure. be used yeah. more like it was not even used very much. Like it was barely used. At it all was a cool mini map too, because it showed verticality yeah. by because the yeah, icons were bigger. And Mercy the, were yeah, in the just the shooting and everything. Yeah, it wasn't just like your typical mini map. It was like even more detailed than that. So uh, one, the third one thing major, I would note about oh, the 
One thing I'll note about the spec mode going forward, though, is that there are certain color combinations that didn't really work out. Like, it's a huge improvement across the board. Don't get me wrong, but certain things should probably be avoided. One of those things would be uh, the initial reaction where it's a little bit unfortunate that the very first match was in Canada uh, versus Australia just because I think Australia's green was probably the best looking on camera, whereas the Sweden light blue was probably the worst Light blue versus white is not a great combination that should probably be avoided in the future. Green is phenomenal, both in how it looks uh, on the live feed if you're casting, but also just looks phenomenal on Twitch encoding, where green is one of the colors that encodes best. So there's definitely colors that work out well, some colors that don't work out well, and and there's just like things that have to be worked out in terms of like, should the names be white? Eh, depends. Uh, Overall, the name, should, it, the name should absolutely be white. I don't care. I don't, like I will go go out on a limb and just like I don't actually care what anybody else says about that. The white, the names I, being white was one of the best things I saw. It like, depends. If you have everything else being white, then you have no. No, every white. So, everything else should not be white. The names should be white. But uh, we'll get well, to that. I'm in a saying second, though, you're also in a world where like one of the main colors is white. So it, th- these are things that have to get figured out, right? Where it's still certain things have to get ironed out and made perfect. Step forward, yeah. yes, but let's also recognize that a few things did get initial reaction of like, oh, oh there, there's this isn't I, slightly clear. I think there's plenty of of critiques that that you know. I mean, I, I want I'm I'm actually uh, I reached out to like Imagine Jason, and I, I'm going to be sending my laundry list to them like event like probably tomorrow or something like that. But we're talking about just the good things, right? Like kind of continuing on that, Ben. Like um, the replays, wasn't that pretty cool? I yeah. mean, that, like the. Uh, replays were amazing and it's something we've had the technology to do uh in very complicated ways at other tournaments where you have spectators on every single person and you use this fancy tech to rewind and go back and forth but this was so different for one main reason you can go back to a moment any moment there's like it actually leaked on on accident i'm sorry alchemist i'm i obviously reddit already saw this uh so so you know that everyone knows but the spectator overlay leaked where you could see the actual every moment that happened tracer throws pulp spawn this person dies this person drops healing station well whatever it is it's all in kind of a like a time frame yeah you can go back to any moment um so it's much more precise than any other replay that we've ever had but i think what really blew my mind was we can go back to any moment and then watch it from a different angle you can go back and see that pulse bomb Mm -hmm. and go free cam you can zoom out you can do slow-mo you can see like the most epic sleep or the most epic uh you know whatever it is you're gonna be able to see that in slow motion and i think this is an incredible game changer i mean i was sitting next to chris and uh what what does this say about me but like one of my hypest moments was the first time they went to an instant replay and zoomed out i was just like chris it it was that diva it was that diva that was like exploding right on hanamura and then it's like oh did it hit the rock it's like all of a sudden they like panned over there and it's like oh it didn't hit the rock but damn that was awesome that was yeah, amazing. Dude, I, I think yeah. slow motion is is a game changer, especially in a yeah. game like Overwatch, where the smallest plays can have the biggest impacts. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see where this goes in the future because, as ZP mentioned, this is this is like the beta. This is the first test ever. Yeah, and ever. I mean, we we also had stats too that would show up. I'm not sure how. I mean, I didn't really pay too much attention to be honest about the stats. I thought it looked cool. You know, it's it's good. To, it's some, one of those things that I think is necessary to have in a broadcast. But um, you know, it, it's cool that they're they're getting that. I don't know if that's manual or not. I, 
do you guys know the the stat portion of the broadcast or if it's actually something that's built in that they just kind of I mean, that like, had to be manual there was, yeah, there was right? some stuff okay. that was clearly manual yeah yeah I mean, I know that there's definitely work being done to make the stat side of things uh, better and more built in. I don't really know the full state of where everything was. Uh, I know we did have stats we had access to mid-broadcast that we could look at as the game was going on. So we did have access to sort of a stat panel, even if casting-wise we didn't use it too much. Where I mean, casting-wise is a learning curve too, right? Where... As casters, we had access to two new things during the event. We had a top-down monitor that we could always look at, and we also had uh, the stat window, and it's sort of mixing that into your broadcast also has a bit of a learning curve when historically you're just broadcasting off a program feed and maybe like a free cam feed that you have going around. But where it goes in the future will be interesting for sure because in an ideal world, you're going to have really cool slow motion replays that catch the right thing because you're going to get replay operators that are very experienced in what to look for. Ideally, you're going to have more detailed stats and again, someone really experienced that can pull up a stat that is super important that any caster would agree with. So all this stuff is a work in progress, right? And yeah, oh, it's it just... It's cool to see where things were brought uh, this weekend, just as sort of the one of the first major steps towards getting to that goal. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me was that um, I was satisfied. Uh, to, like to be completely honest, after watching the first match, I was like, "Oh yeah, the, the colors look cool," but I wasn't that impressed to be honest. Like because there wasn't a lot of things that were being executed. I would say like it, it will eventually be executed when they have more practice. But at the end, you know, after the entire weekend, after seeing just all the tools that they have and, and, and what they just the facilities that they do have to to eventually get to an awesome production, I'm, I'm definitely very confident that they will get there. But it was rough. I mean, there were definitely many moments where it was rough. Like, re, you know, there was replays being shown from like two maps ago on some maps, you know, <laughs> like it was just like, OK, they're showing this replay, but they're showing this replay of the wrong like thing, completely wrong thing. Right. Um, the replays and, have been super overused since they came out. Like, yeah, it was just kind bad. of yeah, and, and they would run too long, and I mean, it was. Or they'll, they'll show a replay of like a Winston getting a two cam, like <laughs> oh yeah, what? I like, remember that. Yeah. He just like, jumped on somebody who could yeah, like he's like yeah. like the fight's over, yeah. and the Winston's like jumping on a Zen. It's like okay, I guess like. You know, like, Slow you, mode and, then you, and then you like, it's like, and then as soon as they cuff away from the replay, like the next fight is starting. You're like, whoa, like what's going on? Like it would, it's so much reduces, like you only want to do a replay when that's actually going to increase the quality of the spectator experience. And they're going to like have a better grasp of what just happened in the fight. Or, like, so there's a reason for it. I can actually, see. I can give you the reason why sometimes you get like an in-game replay where you're just like, I don't know if we need a replay there. And what it comes down to is that Jake as a competitive gamer you should know this when you're first trying to learn how to do something. You just do it in trying to get used to it, figure out the proper times, figure out, oh, I should do this in this situation. When it comes to the in-game replay side of things, for the people that are working on that, you have a similar learning curve, right? Where you're not going to get better at replays if you don't start throwing replay. Like, you have to have the pick up a replay sense of, all right, let's throw this in. But if you're constantly second-guessing whether or not the replay was worthwhile or not, well, you're not going to get a lot of experience at mixing the replay in mid-broadcast. So yeah, you're going to have a learning curve there as the people that are on the replay side get you know intimately acquainted with the idea of this is a good replay, this isn't. And the only way you're going to get there is by throwing out a lot of replays and just slowly improving over time. Yeah, I mean, of course. It's just you don't usually do that on 
the I'm not saying that like the, the people should get broadcast. fired or something. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, but I'm saying like it, if anyone doing the replays is watching, you need to do way less replays. Oh, like yeah. be more conservative with it because it's expensive, right? Like when a replay it takes up the whole screen, that's expensive to the narrative, right? Like you know, like you're if you're if you're mm -hmm. trying to build a narrative, trying to build like a cohesive storyline in a match, and you want to like there's like a tempo to that. There's like no look, this team's ahead. Now that team's ahead. Now this team's ahead. Now that team's ahead. And it's like you want to tell that story as faithfully as possible. Sometimes it's, you can tell that story more faithfully by saying, here's a replay. Maybe it was on stream. Maybe you missed it. But here's a big play that really swung that fight. So I'm like, wow, like great work by XYZ player. You really are helping the narrative. Like, and then we can connect that back to the narrative. He's the reason yeah. that fight went that way because that was such a big play. as like a big fight winning swing play. Yep. But like using replays like i just think that like you're you're probably using twice as many as need to be used right now like yeah. it feels like at least like you know what i mean like i'm not gonna be complaining if there's like once in a while something that's like yeah hey, that's questionable there's been some replays that are like i mean come on like dude like it's like actually a winston getting a 2k like at the end of the fight too like that that's what sort of is like it's just like weird to me i'm like what well it was, it was a little bit more like, like what ZP clearly the fight has on. been it over just, yeah, at the point that the replay starts there's like four kills from one team and then you get to see the person who gets like the last two kills or like finishes off the mercy or something. It's like, it'll get I, I better. Let's see that kind of thing will absolutely get better. Um, so one yeah. thing I wanted to ask you guys too, is what your opinions were on just the fact that they had, um, the strokes, you know, like meaning the outlines If you don't know, if you guys don't know what a stroke is, it's just, they had the, like the white outline around the, the, um, heroes when they were fighting. Uh, no matter if they were behind a building, you know, most of the time in the past, right, you would only see those outlines if they were inside a building. And, you know, a, you know, whether we're in spectator mode or if you have like, I don't know, like just the, the widow ult or anything like that, you would see the outline. Now it's like even when you're in the open, it has that. And I think the reason they did that is just because of the different colors, one of them being white. Um, that kind of bothered me, to be honest. Like, I, I feel like the uniforms are so cool. Like, one of the best things, right, was just the colors that, most of the time, as long as the maps had lighting, so maybe an issue is lighting just generally, I felt like it didn't need anything. Like, I could have just watched it purely, you know, a as the skins were. Uh, wanted to get what your y'all's opinions were. Did y'all feel the same way or y'all feel differently? I think the outlines were fine. I don't know. I'm not, I don't think it detracts too much. I mean, for me, it's like, I think they're really good because I mean mostly just was like my 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 even my like my dad is like he's watched like only the games that I have played in the World Cup or like the, the entirety of his Overwatch watching experience. <laughs> right. And like for him, he was like, oh yeah, it was so much easier to watch. He didn't even know what they did. Like he didn't even like he would he doesn't watch enough Overwatch to even know that they had like changed the outlines or like even remember what went on at Santa Monica. But for him, it was like yeah, if he said that the viewing experience was like way easier just because you can like kind of see like. The green guys are winning. They're like, oh, there's still a bunch of green around. There's not so much white. So it looks like the green guys are beating the white guys. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like something that simple is, I think, actually super important. Like, I think the outlines are, are really key there because they end up, like, really dominating your experience. Like, even though something like the white outline is kind of problematic or some of the outlines, like, the particle effects are problematic because, like, damage boost looks exactly the same as healing and, like, the some of the, just some of the particle effects, it's, like, kind of confusing what's going on when it's like all white there's just like a little too much white particle effect going on um and i think things like that absolutely need tuning but i actually thought that the outlines were great i think having white it was just in general like kind of problematic but all the saturated colors were really good like all the saturated like every time i mean even like the green the red the blue blue and white was a little bit of a bad um grouping but Part of the problem was that like every team, like almost every team in the World Cup yeah. was red, white, and blue. Like, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Like, 
Yeah, it's like a lot of blue in OWL like, too. <laughs> yeah, so so there's a lot of like things like that. I think in OWL it'll be easier because we'll be like you know what sometimes sometimes we'll have a black outline like I don't know if it'll be home or away or whatever, but like then it'll be like a lime outline and it'll be super easy because we always have one of our like main dominant colors as something that's easily recognizable of being our team color. Um, and I think that'll be just all the Overwatch League teams because they have a a wider swath of colors than the national teams did. It'll be a little easier. I think white needs just needs work, like just maybe white with well, a black outline or change the way particle effects are colored with the white texture. But I think overall, like it seemed like, especially for people who weren't that experienced with the game, it was like a big, big difference in terms of just like, I can tell that like, this is always this team. Like the green guys are always Australia and the white guys are always Canada, at least in that match, right? Like it, it makes it just simpler for players who, or for viewers who are really like less experienced, who I think are probably the most important viewers to cater to in a sense. Uh, so the one thing you're missing out on right now yeah. is uh, the idea that <clears throat> okay. So what you're missing out on right now is the some degree of differentiation between effects. So in the base game, when you have when you're just playing, everything has a clear differentiation. I would argue that right now, even if you're say running a green team or red team, you can alter the intensity or shade of the red or green to different palettes, especially if the other palette is going to be white, to make things more. Uh, clear because it gets a little bit i would say zarya is one of the bigger offenders where you have a zarya running around with like a bright white beam with bright white shields that are around it plus uh other white shield effects going on all of that kind of blurs into each other compared to a normal game where say the zarya shield would be dark blue and then you'd have a light blue reinhardt shield i, I think there's something that can be done with the contrast of color between abilities that doesn't have to all exactly one-to-one -one match just something that lets you tell the difference that, oh, this effect is coming from this without immediately having to default to the shape of the effect, which you did have to do with how it was set up here, particularly with the whites. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the cool thing about this coloring thing is that th this is something that's easy to change for them. Like, it was just, you know, like, tweak the color. I mean, they, they can change that pretty e easily in, in my mind. So I, I would like to see them, you know, I get what you said. It's like everything that you said about that, Jake, just it was easier to see. It was definitely easier to differentiate things. But I think it had a lot to do also with the health bars are all white, too. Like, if it wasn't for the outlines, it would literally be this little colored square next to their name would be the only thing that you could tell outside of the uniforms themselves so um i don't know i, I kind of like to see them uh, experiment with colored life bars too and then again i love the uniforms and then i feel like it just takes away from the uniforms a bit I, the uniforms are so saturated and, and great that I, I think that you could tell like you know just the difference between the characters versus like what we used to see with red and blue i mean there was no coloring of skins right so um you know, I'd, I'd like to at least see what the product looked like there. Um, but overall, I, I think this is a great start. I mean, another month or two months of practice. Oh, my God. I mean, it, it should look absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, I think that you guys just casting it was already, you know, pretty good, given just even the new things that you guys had. So um, just given that period of time to refine it, we should be seeing a, a really great product uh, and can't wait to see that. But overall, BlizzCon, I, I felt like, man, huge success. Uh, I think just for, for Blizzard itself, Overwatch for sure. I mean, I don't. I saw so many people from the different communities, whether it was Hearthstone or it was StarCraft, that you know aren't in the Overwatch community, and they sat in the Overwatch arena and were like very impressed and, and excited and hyped. So, um, you know, huge win for Overwatch esports. Yeah, Overwatch completely stole the show. Uh, yeah. You could argue that that was the case last year as well, but 
no other esport came close to Overwatch this year, uh, and be, particularly being in the big arena. The fact that it was completely full at capacity for maybe 80, 90% of the of both days uh, just goes to show you that I think this game definitely has legs. Yeah. It was yeah. really exciting to see. Absolutely. Okay, well, <laughs> we've spent a ton of time. Why don't we just get through maybe a little bit more news and then we'll... We'll call it a night, guys. Yeah, I like um, how we're an hour and a half into the show and we haven't even <laughs> talked about the fact that Jake got a team, a WL team announced. Yeah. We should probably touch on that. Yeah. Probably. Houston Outlaws, let's go. Yeah, okay, let's talk. Why don't you touch on that, Jake? Just, um, you know, obviously everybody knows you're on the Houston Outlaws now. We've had Flame, obviously, on the show uh, recently, too. But, um, you know, I think, you know, you're you being one of the newest players on Houston. Um, yeah, just how do you feel? Because I know you, you, you were um, trying to decide on, on a few options, whether, I don't even know what those options were. Maybe you could enlighten us a little bit. Uh, and then you've decided on Houston. So um, yeah, how are you feeling right now? Uh, so I, I think mostly I was just like, there were some other potential possibilities that I sort of like, I tried to keep in hand just because I'm a very cautious person. I never, I know that like none of the opportunities is guaranteed until that's the only opportunity and that's where I've signed. Mm-hmm. So I, but I never... There was never an offer or like even a team that was super competitive with Houston. Like nothing. I was never like it was basically like, well, there's there's like optic Houston, and if I can't get that, then I have like maybe backup plans. But I had honestly come to the point where I was like, if I have to join a team that I really don't believe in with management that I really don't believe in and coaching that I don't believe in, I would probably just quit and go be an analyst rather than do that. Um, like if it was like a team environment that I wouldn't have liked and would have been unhappy on. Uh, maybe I just didn't want it bad enough or something, but I just, I don't think that would have made me happy. And I think I would have rather work on an analyst desk or even try my hand at casting. I think I'd like to do that as well at some point. Um, You don't have to say uh, what team, if there was a team here, but just to sort of add a little bit oomph behind that point, you did end up signing with Houston. Was there any team out there that offered you more money than Houston? You said, actually, I'm going to turn down the extra money because I really believe in Houston or was Houston also your best offer? Um, no, I mean, like, by the time that Houston was, like, making me an offer, I was like, all right, let's move forward, because I just, I mean, the other teams that I'm talking to and were interested in signing me were, A, just slower than them, like, still running tryouts and stuff, uh, uh, still wanting me to, like, like, they, they were like, you'll, we'll definitely offer you something, but we're still running tryouts, we don't know what the team is, we're not, like, signing anybody just yet, so for me, it was like, I was like, I can either just, like, wait for these other teams to, like, come around and figure something out, or I can go with the team that I... I mean, for me, it was easy, right? Because in my opinion, Matt and Muma are like, you know, like two, I think Kuma especially and and Muma uh, to almost the same degree. I think Matt's the best player in the game, uh, the best player I've ever played with personally. Not just flex, not just like the best yeah, at his role. The I, best I just say that period. I play. I've played with Matt in video games since 2012, but I would also concur that Matt is the best player I have ever he's, played. He's with. like legitimate. Yeah, and he's very. He's very humble. So like you would never like. I mean, most people. A lot of people wouldn't think this. They would just think, oh, he's a good flex. He's just a smart flex player or something. But he's legitimately like, old. Like like he is. He's a player who I, I would just be like, if he's on the roster, like sign me up. Like let's go. And then to also have Muma signed there. So for me, it was like. Uh, these other teams, it was like, I guess, like, I'll keep playing your tryouts if you want me there, like, then okay, and, like, maybe if you make me an offer, I'll consider it, but to be honest, like, I was, like, gunning for for Optic, gunning for Houston super hard once I knew those players were signed. I was like, this is where I want to be, um, and, I mean, I didn't really know that a whole lot, right? Like, I didn't know, like, like Rockets was, like, a big question mark for a while because phase stuff, and um, even I was a big question mark for a while just because, like, a lot of people, like, weren't sure how good I was, um, 
And now I understand that apparently, like, um, Rockus and Matt and Muma were, like, hyping me pretty hard, which yeah, uh, I really fair. appreciate, honestly, is, is, like, really awesome of them. I, I didn't know they were playing for me that hard behind the scenes, but I think that's, like, probably the reason that I got the spot at the end of the day. Um, I could have just as easily been in sort of the, the Adam or Fact position where I sort of came to the game too late and just kind of got cucked by that. So I think I was really lucky to have the support of, of those guys. Uh, and and I'm, it makes me, you know, like... Uh, it's like it's like awesome to have that kind of support in esports, especially because I know them and I know it's authentic. I know they wouldn't, you don't just like do that because you're friends with the person. Like you don't just say like let me get all my friends on the team. It's like you do that because you believe in that player and you believe that you can be successful together, uh, which is I feel exactly the same way about them as players. So for me, it was like it wasn't ever about the money. Like there was never, I would have gone with Optic if someone had offered me more money, but it it was just the money was always like I want as much as I can get from the team I want to be on. But at the same time, like, the team I want to be on is, like, way more important than, like, the money, right? Like, I would just, like, I would just not play in Overwatch League rather than play with a team I didn't like, even for a lot of money. Like, much less. Well, okay, even for a lot of money. Let, let, outlaws, let me know? press you on this because I just find it entertaining. But, okay, what, what was the threshold there? If someone offered you 20K more, what would you say? No. Uh, where was your what break you point here? Like, well, I mean, if someone right, comes if in someone over the top, you like, like, if someone says like, "Hey, you want two hundred fifty thousand dollars to like be a backup player for Boston?" I'd be like, "Yeah, okay, give me your money." And I'm just gonna, like, <laughs> okay. So, you know, so there is a point where you're just like, Every, "I will." I mean, there's a point where it's dumb, right? I mean, but there's a point where it's like, there's a point where it's dumb. But like within real, like, like no one's gonna pay me that much. I'm not like, uh, you know, it's just not realistic, right? Like, <laughs> you know, I, there's no way I'm not gonna make more than Seagulls making. Like, it's just it's unrealistic. So like, but like that's the kind of level I would have to be paid at for me to join one of those teams that I was like really not psyched about. Uh, because at that point, I'm like, I feel like that's like the ultimate sellout. That's like more selling out than like, like brands or or sponsorships or whatever, like any of that stuff. Because that's like you're actually like sacrificing your desire to compete and be the best and play with the best for money. Like you're saying, like I will join you a team that I Carmelo believe to be Anthony weaker, and I think we'll have less fun on. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like I don't, I don't want that, right? Like the money is, I feel like. It's also like you don't want it, but you would side for the money if it was it, hilariously is, like, large I, enough. Honestly, I might not. I might have even just not, no matter how high the money goes, because yeah. some of it is like, all right, well, if you're gonna be a hundred million dollars, it's like great. I'll just retire after the first year, okay. But within anything reasonable, it doesn't make sense to go for that if you think the team's gonna suck, because then everyone's gonna think you suck. Like if you play on a team that just gets dumpstered, and like you're you're unhappy and you're unable to like really better the team, you're just sort of like playing your role as best you can, and you're just losing because the enemy team's more coordinated than you then you're going to like your player stock goes down. So joining a team that isn't going to do well or that you don't think is going to do well is very risky for your career because you could easily be blamed for that, especially if you're not on a role where you can easily show your stuff. Like if you're a tracer and you're just like hard carrying every game and your team's losing, people are going to be like, all right, well, this guy's like really good. and It's just his team sucks. Um, but on a lot of roles, like on my role, it's not nearly that much of the case. Like you can't do well on Soldier or, or Drunkrat or Pharaoh or Genji. Like those are super characters that are like ultra team dependent compared to the more like tracer role where you're just kind of like you can kind of do a lot by yourself or at least do more relatively more by yourself so for me as a player it was like always a huge priority to play with a team that i thought would be successful and for me that starts with tanks it starts with supports mm-hmm. all right well um you know definitely excited to get a chance to see obviously houston outlaws in the overwatch league we talked about the schedule earlier uh, but yeah, it's gonna I think, I think you guys got a pretty good team so um, and I think you, the you know, Chris, the fact that they've got three of the USA I roster, know, I know. Is, it's looking good for the marketability of this team. You've yes, also got yes. all-star players like Linkser on the team, Spree, Mendo. Uh, 
yeah, Mendo for the memes and anime, and I don't know. It's gonna be. It's gonna. He's be gonna good. be good again, dude. I, I think Mendo. Hopefully, will, I hope so. Mendo. He has a good mentality about yeah. the game. Like he has a yeah. good mindset. He's like a very hard worker. And he's very like positive, and I think he's a player who's like. I could see in a bad environment how Mendo like wouldn't help really. Like if your team environment was bad, I don't think Mendo is the player who's going to like lead you out of that bad environment and like take control of the team environment and make sure that it's like changing in a positive direction um, the way some players do, like Cool Matt. Um, but at the same time, I think if you have a good team environment, Mendo is really going to excel because he's going to feed off that positive energy. He's going to like continue to put out more positive energy. He's going to like create that positive cycle with your team. Uh, so I think like yeah. C9 honestly just wasn't the best team for Mendo. It like, wasn't a great fit for him, I think. Um, like culturally, uh, but I think that Houston really is. I think he's going to really excel, honestly, and, and I think impress a lot of people. He's always been a player who has that like obvious talent. Like, you just watch him play, you're like, okay, yeah. this guy has talent. Uh, and, and it seems like the improvements to like for him to make are very reachable with like the right support staff, the right team environment, the right teammates, uh, and the right calls. Like you know th that you put a talented player in a situation where everything is like everything else is good and, and like everything that's surrounding them is, is positive and, and helping them, then you turn that talent into something really special. Yeah. So for me as a player who I think of as probably being like less talented than some other players, like more just grinding the game to get better and uh, rather than just like sort of being initially really good at it um, and, and, you know, focusing on stuff like calls as a way to win rather than just raw mechanics. Uh, it's like I see players like Mendo and I can see why they're super, super valuable and like their potential is so, so high. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we got a couple just big, uh, well, just a couple of things in the news that I think are um, obviously uh, Overwatch related. And uh, the biggest one is that uh, this was announced right before BlizzCon, which is Intel and HP uh, have signed on to be uh, huge, you know, just I guess title sponsors for, for Overwatch League, um, or at least the, uh, the major sponsors for Overwatch League. And um, I think Sepso was quoted as saying that these are um, two of the, or maybe two of the largest sponsor deals that he's ever seen in esports so um that's obviously huge words well, they I don't, better be I, I, yeah i mean League. come on I, exactly but you know we've seen we've seen intel have giant sponsorships in esports so if it's bigger than that then that's pretty impressive hp obviously with hp omen and everything you know, they've been doing huge things recently too so um kind of interested to see what that number is i think we'll probably figure it out like in the next coming weeks or so but super exciting, you know what I mean? Like they just, did a lot because they're exclusive sponsors, which yeah, means that exactly. as a player or a team, you're you're not allowed to get sponsors that compete with either of those companies. Mm -hmm. So having HP as your monitor sponsor means that we're gonna have to use HP monitors in Overwatch League. It's like, gonna be what awesome. What monitors right? does HP oh. make? Like what? So new line, dude. it pisses me off because oh. I think that 240 hertz is the standard and should be the standard, and is like very reasonably priced at this point in time like it used to be like a thousand dollars for a 240h monitor it's like okay that's kind of inaccessible for most people but now that like the price is dropping it's like 500 bucks that's not so inaccessible yeah. anymore people more people have rigs that can actually get value out of 240 hertz monitor the same way that 140 hertz is like or 144 is like the standard now and is like if a tournament had 60 hertz monitors it would be like a joke like people would actually like not want to play that tournament i wouldn't want to play that tournament if that's 60 hertz monitors it's like 144 is like the absolute baseline now but it feels like for something like Overwatch League, why are we staying with like the current baseline when this is like the opportunity to set a really great trend and be like, look, now we're on, everyone's on 240. This is the new standard. Like we're upgrading. And, and honestly, in like a year or two, it's going to be that standard no matter what they do with sponsors. Like 
It's just like yeah, it's so I mean, obvious. Maybe the they do the have like, You know who knows? I like, mean, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't think HP currently produces. Let me literally Google this right now. I'm pretty sure they do not make oh, a 240 no. monitor. Maybe we it's 2018, that man. Our monitors will not be 240 hertz. We'll be playing on 144. Oh, really? It's like okay. whatever. It's not the end of the world. Like that's how it's been in the past. But at the same time, like these products are readily available. Like I would buy one if I. The only reason that I don't have a 240 hertz monitor is I don't want to practice on something that I won't be allowed to use in competition. Yeah, that's but like a good point. the fact that I could actually bring a monitor from home and have an advantage in the Overwatch League is like, what? Like why? Like you'll be you'll you'll be on the ladder grinding to get better. You're like I want the best equipment possible. You go out you buy the best equipment possible. Too bad that equipment is too nice. You're not allowed to use that in the Overwatch <laughs> League. So for me it's like. They seem like they need that if that like like to, to to do anything that prevents the Overwatch League from being on two forty hertz monitors is like come on man like they, they uh, that's like has to be well, maybe, they, like, maybe has, there are that's like for me it's like all right like whatever I'm sure they paid a ton of money for that and I'm sure it's like important for the survivability of the league and for the profitability <laughs> of the league but at the same time like if it's I mean, a fifty I, million hundred million dollar contract dude I, I think it's going yeah. to be uh yeah but just like at the end of the day it's, just like we should have like, the bills, two forty hertz monitors and there's going to be stuff that prevents that so it's like. I mean, I understand. Maybe that's just how it has to be. That like, yeah. there's going to be sacrifices that the players have to make in order to like facilitate just the league and like this is how the league has to work. But at the same time, I don't know. That's like an issue that's like kind yeah, of silly yeah. to me because there's already players that play on 240. So now they're going to have to like turn their 240 hertz monitors down to 144 so that they don't get used to something that they won't have in tournaments. So it's like yeah. everyone is equally handicapped. I'm a big fan of like the better everyone's equipment gets, the higher the level of play gets. You know what I mean? Like, I want every player to have better tracking because they're all playing on 240 hertz monitors. I don't want just because it's fair when everyone's on 144 doesn't mean that it's not like better when it's on everyone's on 240. Sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's like I don't know. sometimes I just, I you know like you, there's there's important. give and take sometimes when it comes to the business of esports. So uh, I'm sure eventually they will get to 240, just not this first season. Clearly, um, well, I mean, HP literally doesn't make that product. This is the problem. It's like. <laughs> that's the reason because they had 240s when they were like aces at uh right. at santa monica but then at world cup they were back to 144 so right. i was like i guess like i mean that's just like this is if you're playing overwatch in a 60 hertz display stop get at least a display that goes up to a minimum of 144 120 is like a hard minimum 144 yeah. is like you just should because it's not that expensive like the aces one is great there's a lot of great ones honestly aces one doesn't have great colors but at least out of the box you have to we have to workshop it a lot but like yeah like in terms of performance upgrades you need to get a gpu and a cpu that can get you to like a good frames per second like a consistent 150 or something anything above 144 and a 144 hertz nice. monitor then you think about buying other things like don't buy anything until you have those things because by far the biggest upgrade you can get in gaming is the monitor. And yeah. that's why something like the 240 hertz is a really big sticking point for me. It's like, that's the, I mean, like there's diminishing returns. I would say 60 to 144 is a bigger jump than 144 to 240 um, in terms of like performance increase and, and experience increase. But at the same time, like it's significant. You can easily tell, like you plan on 240, you're like, oh my God, this is so smooth. It feels so good. And I literally like, I, it's like annoying me, right? right like, I'm like I would Black love to play <laughs> I know yeah, Black Friday. That's what I mean. Like, if you're, if you're a casual here. player and you're not trying to play in the Overwatch League, get a 240. Like, you know, like the Overwatch League players are going to be forced to handicap themselves on 144. Because <laughs> like, those that's, damn that's Overwatch League I'm, I'm finally players. going for top the slumming it. Let's go. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, it is a, it's a legitimate advantage, just the same way that 144 is a legitimate advantage over 60. And I'm, for for technological things like that, where you're not like you know, like taking yeah, Adderall yeah. advantage, just like have a better computer. That's just awesome. It's just like you're reducing the friction between the player and the game. And that just like can only increase the level of play, which as a competitor I love. 
Yeah. All right. Well, um, maybe just the last bit of news before we uh, call it, um, or at least call it for a show. Uh, pretty big news for uh, a brand, an esports brand that's been around esports for a long time. We're in Overwatch for a long time too, until they took a step back from it. And um, you know, Ben, you just long time, you know, even just friends, you know, of just complexity, just Jason, both Jasons actually. So they finally got bought out by, um, you know, just one of these billionaires that have been floating around now. I, I was wondering if it was eventually going to happen, you know, like when, when OD first, you know, had it happen, you know, with the Dignitas and I, I figured complexity was going to be very, very soon after. Right. Um, it took a little bit of time, but man, they chose the right, I mean, they, they definitely got, a pretty big name who bought it, which was Jerry Jones and John Goff. So, um, congratulations, obviously Jason Lake and, and uh, also Jason Bass for um, sticking it out for this long, and, and then you know finally getting this um, opportunity to, to um, you know work with these two guys. Not only they bought a majority share actually of Complexity, so I, I think Lake will still be doing what he he is currently doing, which is like you know running operations and everything. But um, I wonder what this means. You know, clearly Complexity is not going to be in this first season. But it sounds like they're going to be making a bid for the second season of uh, yeah. Overwatch League, and that's pretty. That's really really cool. It's either that or else, yes. <laughs> yeah. What what a time for esports! I know, God. right? It's, it's crazy. Like, you youngins have no idea. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane right now. There's yeah. just the amount of money is is mind blowing. It's like exponential. But yeah, it's, uh, it's great news. I'm happy for. All right, well, uh, we're just clearing two hours now, so I think it's, uh, yeah. it's about time to call the, the show, given that I know uh, for a few of you guys still want to do something later tonight. So why don't we wrap it up? Jake, it's always amazing to have you on the show. You're always, you always have some great insight, and it's always great to pick your brain. Um, it was also awesome getting a chance to hang out with you, too, just even the little time that we had on Saturday. But any shout-outs that you, you got uh, before you take off? Um, just... Big shout out to the Houston Allies. If you guys haven't already, go check out the Twitter. Follow all the players on the team. We got like a lot of really cool players. Even if you only know some of us from the community, like I think if you like one of us, you kind of like all of us. Like we're all, we have a very like, I don't know, I want to say like monochromatic or something. Like mana is just like we our team culture is very consistent. Like every player has that has a similar sort of very positive improvement focus, very dedicated mindset. So I think if you like the stuff that one of us does you're very likely that you're going to like the stuff that other of us do, uh, other of us do. So, you know, if you like Mando stream, you might like someone else's like, just, so just, just like check it out, check out all the content that everyone's making all the stuff, all the, you know, all the players. Like, so I think that that's the biggest thing is just like shout out the rest of my teammates. We're, there's like a ton of really, really just nice, awesome people on the team. So that's my only shout out. Outlaws. All right. Awesome. ZB. Uh, shout out. Same as always. Follow me on Twitter at Tippo ZP. Shout out to Overwatch Esports as a general rule. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm bad at selling out today. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, ben? Uh, it's, this, last week was amazing. Uh, yeah. Really, really opened a lot of people's eyes to the, the potential of Overwatch Esports. Uh, I mean, the, it's really easy to go around and tout the viewership numbers. But the thing I'm, I'm personally also doing when I'm talking to my friends and colleagues in esports is saying, did you watch the games? Because the games themselves were really what made this weekend so memorable and special and gives me a lot of hope for the future. Uh, and it's no small part. Thanks to players like Jake. Uh, I mean, yeah. going into yeah. this weekend uh, was definitely expecting huge performances out of yourself and, and, uh, and Sinatra and the rest of your team as well. But I got to say, 
it was you who was uh, lighting up the crowd uh, so so often and getting people so hyped. So fantastic job. We can't wait to watch you play in Houston uh, with a really uh, a lot of stars on that team. I think it's going to be a, a great team to watch and cheer for. So I'll, I'll be watching and cheering as well. Ben, you know yeah. who else also makes things really special? Oh boy, T-Mobile. <laughs> T-Mobile. T-Mobile. Totally T-Mobile is not sponsoring this dang I show, man. I love that they did. Unlimited combos. Unlimited combos. So good, man. So good. Yeah, I'll uh, round things out. Thanks, uh, everybody, obviously, for watching tonight. You guys for doing the show with me. Um, you know, just everybody in Overwatch that had anything to do with the, um, the just World Cup and, and BlizzCon. It, it was absolutely one of my favorite BlizzCons of all time. And that had a lot to do with Overwatch and everything that happened. Jake, you're like Ben said, I think... You know, there there are certain players that are ballers, and and like I I definitely describe them as you know whenever it comes down to like you, you know you gotta step it up and and you're, you're like you know ready to to really step it up to the next gear and motivated to do that and um you know that that's when you make special moments happen and I think that we had a, definitely a few of those that happened this weekend it had a lot to do with um you know your play and some of your teammates too so I thank you for that um. Thank you for Flower, too, for, for obviously yeah. having those moments, too, because it was necessary. We needed Flower to have, you know, go off on the U.S. team with some of those Widow plays because it, it just, you know, helps Overwatch esports, to be honest. Um, but you can find uh, this show on iTunes, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud.com slash ChamianV. Quick shout out to just some of our team's folks. I left some um, ratings. We haven't done that in a while. Pretty Boy 1990 and Sviorn Air. Thanks so much for doing that. Helps out and, um, the SEO on iTunes for people trying to find an Overwatch podcast. You can also find these VODs on youtube.com slash championv. Uh, follow us on Twitter too, at the Overview GG. But uh, that's going to be it, guys, for the Overview tonight. If it wasn't long enough for you guys already. So for Jake... We didn't ZP, even get to like 90 of I know. We didn't even get to all it's of It's fine. The it's more content for next week. We're good. <laughs> all right. it's, it's all great. All right, guys. Take care. Yeah.